Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Renee, joined once again by the blonde nerd, Brittany Brombacher. Hello. And we have a very special guest in studio with us. Mr. Jared Petty is here. Very special. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. I, I, I don't know if I've ever been very special before. I've, I've been special. I've been I, never world-renowned. I've always wanted to be a world-renowned guest, but well, that hasn't happened I yet. mean, well... I apologize. Welcome the world-renowned Jared Petty. No, 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 no. You don't need to apologize. Oh, wow. This is just – can I just keep saying these? Yes, like, yeah. Okay. Like like Emissary of Gozer? Like can, can we go with that maybe? Welcome the Emissary of Gozer, Jared Petty. Excellent. Oh, wow. There is no Dana, only Zoom. We're here for you, Jared. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brittany. I appreciate that. I'm really happy to be here because you guys make a fun show that I like to listen to, and now I get to be a part of it. Well, we this was a long time coming. I know that you had mentioned um, to me uh, about wanting to be on the show, and I said, of course, we want to have you on the show. And I think it was just our uh, coordinating of schedules just was making it a little challenging. Um, I do want to make a disclaimer for everybody watching at youtube.com slash what's good games. Um, as you can probably tell, yes, Jared is here in studio with me. But because Miss Christine Steimer is under the weather and she needs to fly with us to PAX tomorrow, she is taking the night off. And so um, the way that I have the layout with the video, even though before we started rolling, Jared and I discussed not looking at each other because if you look in the video, we're looking away oh, from each other the way that I have it cut. Um, it's going to happen. And I just want you to go with it. And I apologize to everybody who's like, weirded out by the fact that when we're technically looking at each other, we're looking away from each other other it's the the magic of cinema ladies and gentlemen i keep trying to remember like if i just look to my right where yoshi is it's like i'm looking at you but i really again i really think i need one of those extra tails like like the brains dinosaurs had in their butts to make that work and and i I just need like a little blinking light over there to be like look here and it really is weird for me to see that you guys like talking to each other but facing away i don't know what to make of it excuse me well yeah because what people don't know is behind the scenes Brittany is looking at a different camera. So in order for her to be able to see us while we're recording, um, the, uh, the internet magic that allows me to pipe her image in, we have a separate camera here. So she sees both of us on camera at the same time. Ooh. So if we're looking at each other, it looks normal. But if we're looking away from each <laughs> other, it looks pretty silly, but, um, that's okay. Um, we appreciate you guys' understanding and patience. Um, some housekeeping that I want to get to. If you're listening to this on Friday, April 6th, the day that it, airs or streams publishes is maybe the word i'm looking for there um you probably know that we have a panel in boston at pax east 3 p.m the what's good games live panel we have a very special exclusive piece of what's good game swag that everybody who comes to the panel 
will get to take home with them. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. There are 400 seats. We asked the uh, Reed Pop folks, how many seats are in the Arachnid Theater where our panel is? 400. We have 400 pieces of swag and a few extras. Do you, do you um, want me to show it? It's in my pocket right no, now. No, I don't. No? Okay, we're I'm not going to bring it, it out a, then. We're going right. to keep it a surprise. Oh. Um, but they they arrived um, They arrived today. Um, rush shift job because I procrastinated in order the night. But they arrived and they look great and it'll be fun. So if you are in Boston, you're coming to PAX, please Please come to our panel. And then we also have a meet and greet from 5 to 7 p.m., the What's Good Games Happy Hour at the Whiskey Priest, which is very close to the Boston Convention Center. Even if you don't have a PAX badge, you can come on down. We do kindly ask that you RSVP at Facebook.com slash What's Good Games. We have an event posted there that will give us an idea of how many people. We do have a little bit of space reserved, but we have a feeling that we're going to overflow that based on the RSVPs we have so far. So thank you, everyone, who has gone to our Facebook page to RSVP. We appreciate that heads up um, because our friend Greg Miller is just going to bamboozle some poor bar on Thursday <laughs> after the kind of funny BYOW, bring your own wing ding. Um, and he's like, I'm just going to roll with a couple hundred people to a bar. And I'm like, Greg, don't do that. That's terrible. That poor bar staff is going to be overwhelmed. Um, but it's going to happen. You'll There's probably see photos. Going to be a convoy of people streaming out of the Dragonfly Theater yes. and then right down the street to some. So yeah, that, that sounds about pretty Greg like. Yeah. I like how Brittany's like dancing the whole time we're doing this. Oh, yeah. and I'm just imagining she's muted us and she's got like Mickey, Nicki Minaj <laughs> running through her earphones this whole time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. To come back around. That's well, she right. did just come back from, from Las Vegas. How was your Vegas trip, Brett? It was amazing. My ears are still ringing. It yeah. was, uh, you know, doing those four or five a.m. nights, not as easy as they used to be. But I, but I pulled through. I, I, I flew on a flight I, I, on two hours of sleep. Didn't pass out. I did good. I've passed well, out there you of, go. on planes before. It's a thing that I do sometimes. It's really weird. And I didn't do it this time, so I was very proud of myself. Yay. Well, I'm happy good. that you made it back alive. Thanks. And that you have at least a couple nights of rest before PAX begins. Um, Brittany and I are doing quite a few things at PAX. Britt, what is your first panel on Thursday? My first panel is the How to Network When You're Awkward as Heck at 1 p.m., in a theater that I cannot recall at the very moment. It's okay. You know why? Because this podcast publishes on Friday morning. Your panel will have already happened. Oh, man. So it doesn't even matter anymore. But I'm sure it was a fantastic panel full of great advice because I am an awkward person. But somehow I you know, know how to network. Do you know if they're recording that panel? I do not know. I have not Take heard. This is sponsoring that panel, right? Or mm-hmm. is organizing that panel? Yes. Of course, take this.org, one of the fantastic, um, organizations that we at What's Good Games work with. We've got the, uh, Psychomancer in the background, um, on the set here. They are a bunch of lovely folks. They are actually in the midst of a fundraiser right now to try to get funding for AFK rooms, the away from keyboard rooms where people can take a break from packs. They can talk to mental health professionals. There's always a licensed clinician in the AFK room. Um, and they do such great work there literally have saved lives before. So if you guys have any um, extra funds that you can throw their way, you can find that link over on my Twitter page at Andrea Renee. Of course, TakeThis.org has all the information at TakeThisOrg on Twitter. Um, they are looking for any and all types of help. If you guys uh, like what they do and you are so inclined, please um, please check out what they do. It's and- uh, it's pretty refreshing, the approach they're taking to to using on-site mental health to providing the services the way you'd expect on-site physical health at a convention. And the fact that we don't expect on-site mental health, there's probably something very wrong with that. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're opening that door, starting that conversation, making that happen, that's exceptional. 
I, I, I'm really, really he- thrilled to hear that's happening. It's a really awesome thing that we as an industry are really kind of leading the charge for advocacy in this area. Cause as you mentioned, you know, it's something that's so often overlooked, not just in the video game industry, but uh, uh, in the world at large. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, you know, we have people like take this and a lot of other great organizations out there that are saying, Hey, don't forget mental health is important too. Yep. Um, so we are on a panel together on Thursday as well. The audacity of hype all about social media. We have some great people on that. But again, if you are listening to this on Friday, wow. it already happened. Um, but on Saturday, um, from 3 to 4 p.m. in Bandland, which is in the front entrance of the Boston Convention Center, Johnny Casanova and the bank from the League of Heels will be making an appearance at the <laughs> League of Heels area in Bandland. Um, if you guys want more info, leagueofheels.com. And Miss Blondnerd is going to be debuting at Paxamania 4. Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in the Albatross Theater. Why so early? Uh, Listen, we've asked this question every time they do it. It's just been the time slot. We always ask them for an evening time slot, so that way we don't have to, you know, fuss with the people coming after us, because ultimately... Dan Reichert's going to bring something that's going to make a mess, and I'm going to have to clean it up again, because he didn't clean up the hot dog mess from PAX West. Oh, boy. Dirty Dan Reichert. I'm shaking my angry fist at you for everybody who's listening on podcasts. Uh, what's going to happen? Who knows? The turn of events after the last one where Aaron Trites, one of the announcers, was a shadow run GFB agent. We don't know what's going to happen to Eric Pope. We just, you know, you're going to have to show up to the theater to find out. Brittany, what are the odds that we're going to see you lift another human being over your head and rip them in <laughs> half like a phone book? Right now, 100%. That sounds glorious. Okay. I, I'm really, really hoping that's delivered on Saturday. I will do that for I, you, Jared. Oh, thank I'll you. I'll do that just for you. I, thanks a lot. I, I'm honored. Yeah. I appreciate that. Also, Andrea, we are going to play D&D at Paxis. Yes, we are. My very first D&D experience. Oh, I looked the wrong way at you again. I did it. Ah, <laughs> that's okay. Oh, no. A D- your first time? My first time. Oh, oh, yep. that's so exciting. What do you, what do you, what do you play it? Tell us about it. I wouldn't want to know. I don't really know. We talked about this on the podcast months ago and Craig, uh, a listener found out and he offered to run us through a one and a half to two hour game. So it's going to be Andrea, Steimer, myself, probably a few other people at like 1130 in the morning. So there will be mimosas. Have you played before, Britt? Yes, a couple of times. Okay. And okay, I love good. it so much. It's so fifth good. Fifth edition, I assume, for this, or, or most likely? What was that? Was it going to be fifth? Oh, no. I don't know these things. I just know I've played a few times, and it's been so much fun. I'm really excited yeah. to see Andrea play. Well, the the genesis for this was Life is Strange Before the Storm, episode one, where mm-hmm. Chloe sits down and plays her first um, game of D&D in that episode and we talked about it and I was like you know I haven't ever really I don't understand I don't get it you mm-hmm. know I've watched Life is Strange not Life is Strange um, Stranger Things and I know that those kids play and I've um I've seen it and I've heard you know the the guys the McElroys over at my brother and my brother and me you know they play D&D and so I've like we've been trying to get it together. So uh, if you are listening to this and you're at PAX and you want to come, we're going to tweet the location from the what's good underscore games 
Twitter account because we haven't finalized where we're meeting up yet. So if you want to come and watch me absolutely fail at TNT <laughs> or struggle my way through it uh, and maybe have a mimosa or two, um, please do join us 1130 a.m. Saturday, April 7th, uh, location TBD. Andrea, you can't fail at D&D. No. You're, as long as you're there laughing and having fun, you're going to have a ball. And, and I think as a person who loves video games as much as you do, it's going to be exceptional for you. D&D, maybe more than anything else in the world, influenced what video games became. Uh, just the idea of using numbers as a stand-in for ability, that the mathematical basis behind every game you've ever played is in D&D. And so when you sit down with it, it's going to feel remarkably familiar and and you're going to jump down there and just be able to grab it by the joystick quite literally and, and take control. You're going to have a good time. Yeah. Okay. I'm excited now. Thanks for the pep talk, Jared. Um, I think that is it for our um, housekeeping for PAX. And um, did I forget anything, Brittany? I don't think I did. We're going to have pins with fancy yes. pinsy back. Pinsy backs. That's I'm right. saying fancy pinsy backs. backs. I said pinsy backs. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, and exclusive postcards that may or may not be signed if you want us to sign them. <laughs> yes. So the pins are awesome. We have sold them at a couple of other events that we've um, gone to in the past, but uh, we upped our game. We got backing cards and little plastic bags finally. Sorry. Thank you to everybody who was um, who was with us in the early days before we knew such things were important. <laughs> um, but those pins are $10 a piece. I know we've had people write in and say, hey, can we buy them online? And we haven't, um, we haven't figured out a way, the best way to sell those um, over the internet yet, but um, we're working on it. But if you're going to be at PAX and you want a pin, just we'll have them on us at all times. Just come up and be like, I need a pin. And we will exchange monies. No, we don't have a way to accept credit cards. I'm asking, I'm saying that in advance. Sorry. If, everyone always asks. What if I just walk up to you and I give you my credit card and I'm like, if you'll give me the pen, you can keep this and use it. I would give it back to you. Okay. But I appreciate the gesture. Okay. Um, all right. So that is it for housekeeping. Um, I do want to let everybody know that this episode, once again, is brought to you by Ripped Gamers. So the thing with gaming is that we often spend a lot of time sitting around, and that can mean that we don't end up as fit and as healthy as we would like. Our friend Tim Ross over at Ripped Gamers was in the same boat himself and got sick of feeling in worse shape than every ripped RPG character he played. So he decided to do something about it. Fast forward to today and he's lost over 40 pounds, got a college degree in exercise prescription and helped dozens of others start their own weight loss journey. Tim is super passionate about gaming and he wants to help other gamers around the world get healthy and feel better about their bodies. He's created an at home, zero equipment required fitness program and nutrition strategy designed specifically for video gamers. You can also join the Ripped Gamers Facebook community for advice, support, or just to meet some fitness minded gamers. Now, if you're really serious, he even offers one on one entirely online coaching. What's kind of crazy though is that everything over at Ripped Gamers is completely free the program, the Facebook group, and even the one on one coaching. Tim is just here to help you get fit. So if you want to kickstart your fitness journey and work towards your goals, head on over to RippedGamers.com, that's R-I-P-P-E-D-G-A-M-E-R-S.com, and download your free program and join the community. Everything you need to lose weight is right at your fingertips and 100% free. Woo. Thank you so much to Tim for sponsoring us over on Patreon.com slash What's Good Games. Um, if you guys are interested in checking out, we have some awesome offerings over there, exclusive videos. We've got secret segments. We've got exclusive Q&As every month. It's pretty great. 
And Jared. Yeah. You have a Patreon as well. I do have a Patreon. I have one of those. And uh, it's it's something I started recently. It's kind of been rebranded. It began as Pockets Full of Soup, which was a, a part-time gig. I did a storytelling show uh, about the people we're grateful for, where I interview others about folks who have influenced their lives. But now uh, it's become the center of my financial reality. Uh, yeah, I quit my job recently to produce content full-time. Uh I make a series called Hop, Blip, and a Jump. And if somebody wants to support that, and we'll talk more about that, I think, later in the show, yeah. uh, the link to my Patreon is simple. Just go to hopblipjump.com, and that'll take you right there. And like he mentioned, we will be talking more about that in the third segment. And of course, we'll have links in the show notes for podcast listeners and in the YouTube description for everyone over on our YouTube page. But without further ado, let's talk about some news. So I think the biggest news of the day of the week, I should say, is something that isn't even on the show notes, really. So, Brittany, I'm going to um, I'm going to surprise you here. Oh boy, because this is hot off the presses. Oh boy, um, ladies and gentlemen, Spider Man for PS4 is coming on September 7th. What? Happy dance! So Happy. exciting! Um, so our colleague Greg Miller over at Kind of Funny Games Daily has been heckling Insomnia Games about this. Of course, Tuesday this week, Game Informer announced their new cover story. 14 pages of deep dive interviews and features. If you have the digital version of Game Informer, you can access that right now. But if you're like me and like the physical copy, you got to wait a little bit longer. Um, but this is exciting. We got to see a little snippet of new gameplay. We got some new um, dev diary stuff that's coming out. All kinds of information. And so glad this is coming in September. That's that's a that's a perfect window. That's the when best I thing to happen to. Oh. Sorry. No, 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 you no, you're fine. All I was going to say is that's when I expected it. It sounds like you were yeah. going to say the same thing. Uh, no, I was just going to say it's the best thing that happened to Spider-Man since that really cool font on the PS3. <laughs> uh, that, that was, <laughs> no, I, 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 it's a little earlier than I thought, so oh. I'm happy. I, I thought it might be a bit later, and uh, the sooner I got Spider-Man in my hands, the happier I think I'm going to be. So, yay, that's groovy. Yeah, this is um is is a really great timing, I think, for them, because, you know, we now have the uh, Tomb Raider release date a little bit later in September. We've got Red Dead at the end of October, Call of Duty the beginning of October, so we're kind of start to see holiday 2018 starting to form up we of course know that battlefield is going to have a release date somewhere in there i would guess they're going to launch either late october or early november um as well but um i think that this is a great time this was when destiny and destiny 2 both came out and that window seemed to do really well because there's not a whole lot happening and early september and so i think they're really going to kind of dominate that that time frame and i'm i'm just pumped for this game this is one of my most anticipated games um i love the work that insomniac has done and the locomotion that we've seen in this little snippet of gameplay that they've released this week is just enough of a teaser to get me um fired up about it and i have said this before and time and time again Spider-Man seems to be able to do no wrong. Doesn't matter if the movies suck, if the video games suck, <laughs> if the animated whatever sucks, like it he is just the superhero that cannot die. And every time that I've ever covered Spider-Man in my career as a video games reporter, it's always been the most viewed, most clicked thing from whatever show I've covered it at. Damn girl. What's your uh- What's your yeah. personal resonance with the character, Andrea? Like, is, is he somebody that you grew up with, somebody that you care about, somebody that you've been brought into, or, or for you, is this just a matter of, of playing a really awesome single player game or that with a franchise you may be more attached to it through coverage than through some kind of 
personal nostalgic connection or what is it about Spider-Man that draws you to it? Um, you know, that's an interesting question because I never grew up reading the comics. I was really introduced to Spider-Man, um, through cartoons. Um, I don't even remember which ones. And then of course, you know, really came back around as a, as a young adult with the movies, the first movies with, um, was it Tobey Maguire? Uh, those are the ones that, that you're probably thinking of. Yeah. yeah the the um, three with, uh, the three with Tobey Maguire and everybody's like, why is Tobey Maguire ripped all the time? Like, yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. Um, and so I actually really liked those movies. Obviously, Spider-Man three was left a little to be desired. Um, I don't want to go all the way and say it jumped the shark because I don't think that's the case, but clearly there was like a, a quality drop off, um, between those three. But I still enjoyed them as popcorn movies. Um, and I didn't see all of the Andrew Garfield ones. I think I missed the final one that he was in. And I still haven't seen Spider-Man Homecoming. No, Homecoming's great. I've uh, heard it's excellent. Yes. I just missed it. I don't know why. If somebody walked up and said Homecoming's the best MCU movie, I'm not going to argue with them. It's it's not my favorite, but it's way up there. It's it's a marvelous movie. Did you like it, Britt? I haven't. So here, here's my thing is I typically stay away from superhero video games uh, just because growing up, it wasn't something I really got into, but everyone's hype over Spider-Man. I feel like it's an experience I have to have. And then, I mean, there's my whole fall. You got Spider-Man, you got Red Dead, like I'm good to go. Um, I mean, I think of like when I play a video game, I like to escape to like a fantasy land and Spider-Man is very realistic. I mean, in a sense, besides the whole guy who's a spider thing, you know, it's in a city and there's cars and and, you know what I mean? Like it's just like cities and (laughs) cities, cars and trees are my thing. I know it's, it's ridiculous, but you know, it's like why I couldn't get into, oh gosh, what was that one game? Uh, watchdogs, you know, it's just like uh, buildings don't do it for me. Trees don't do it for me. I'm a very picky bitch, apparently. So anyway, what I'm getting at is I'll give it a shot immediately. I'm not like so stoked to play it. Cause I mean, I'm just like, yeah, you know, but if it has a great story, which I think it'll have, I'm, I'm excited. We'll see. We'll see how I feel. I care a lot about the character. I, I, I grew up with him and he's, he's always meant a lot to me. The storyline, not just the character, but the, but the universe around him, the, the villains, the family, that, that's, that's always been very important to me. But in this case, I may be more excited about playing what, what seems like it could be like the best crackdown game since crackdown. I, I, Spider-Man's all about getting high up and jumping around. And mm-hmm. I have missed that for a long time. Uh, Saints Row 4 kind of did some of that. Uh, but, but I feel like Insomniac's going to put a much better gloss on it, make it feel more refined. And I enjoy mm-hmm. games about traversing space that way. And combine that with the mythology and the theme of Spider-Man. I think this could be something really special. So I'm, I'm looking up the, um, Activision Spider-Man games. Cause I think this, these, those are the ones that really kind of got a bad rap because it felt like Activision was holding on to, the Spider-Man IP and just pumping out games to fulfill their obligation to Marvel. And they weren't actually like thinking about, you know, how can we revolutionize this from a video game perspective? How can we innovate and not to like knock the work that was done by the, by Beanox and, you know, some of the other teams that worked on those games. Cause clearly these games had an audience um, and they were very popular within the Spider-Man fan base. But I think we can maybe collectively agree that they weren't, you know, like knocking down walls and breaking barriers. They weren't, they weren't Arkham, right? They weren't mm-hmm. the Arkham series. And I feel like Bat, Rocksteady's Batman Arkham series is kind of like the pinnacle right now where the bar is for superhero video games. Would you agree with that? Or do you think that there's something else that's higher? I think those, I, I think that captured it very well. I, I think the Rocksteady Batman games, especially the first one, I liked all three. 
uh, but especially the first one in, in Arkham Asylum, managed to combine everything you love about the character and everything you love about fantasy fulfillment of being the character. Uh, it, they both, they both worked really well. It was a well-written game that it felt like Batman, but it also made you feel like you were Batman. And those are two very different things. Right. Spider-Man's going to have to do the same thing to match that. They're going to have to make you feel like Peter Parker and they're going to have to make you feel like you are Peter Parker. Feeling like Peter Parker means you have to create a world that's very different than what Rocksteady did, a world of optimism and melodrama and, and energy and sudden tragedy and ultimate, uh, ultimate hope at the end of the story. Because that's Spider-Man. Right. And then to make you feel like him instead of making you feel stealthy or make you feel terror in, in your enemies the way that the Batman did, it's going to have to give you a sense of motion, freedom, absolute agility, knowing what's coming before it gets there. Because ultimately, Spider-Man is always one step ahead of his enemies. Uh, and, and that's he, – he's not particularly – arrogant he's just jovial to hide what's hurting on the inside and he does that really well kind of like batman broods because he's sad mm-hmm. spider-man smiles because he's sad and i love that about him i think a video game from insomniac has a very good chance of capturing that and i do agree with you that that what uh what they've done with the arkham games is the closest anybody's come up to this point to really capturing a a popular superhero Damn, dude, right? you just got me all sorts of excited for that Spider-Man <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, no, that was Were great. Were you not Thank excited you. before? Huh? Were you not excited I, before? Andrew, there's cities and cars. Come on. It's too realistic. It's not my kind of joking. Oh, my gosh. Here's the thing about Spider-Man. Uh, first off, besides the fact that he does whatever a spider can and that he can <laughs> swing from a web and you can take a look overhead and all the rest of that in that great song, <laughs> Spider-Man is – the superhero that I feel like transcends the rest of Marvel's pantheon. As much as we love the X-Men and the MCU and, and all the rest of that, Spider-Man exists because he's the most like what we are and want to be. He is in some ways the worst of ourselves, not in some brooding punisher. I'm Brent Castle and I'm <laughs> sad about everything and I'm going to shoot somebody about it way. But he's like, oh man, I really screwed up and I want to make it better. That's that's a lot of what his life is. Ooh. And instead of just falling into himself and malaise, he goes out and he does make himself better. And I'm he's like, full of hope. See, I think that's the angle I need to look at it from. It's not that I'm not excited for this game. It's just I know myself and I know my game preferences. And typically superhero games set in a city, you know, that's just like totally not my jam. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I just never get to click with those kind of games. So if I can click with this Spider-Man game, if it does have like that character that you're talking about, and that story, obviously it has that character, but the character progression, the tragic story, something to keep me hooked. And I can kind of forget about like the city I'm in. I don't know. I'm weird. I think I'll like it a lot. We'll see what happens. I don't think it's weird at all. I think it's profound. I mean, the part of one of the things actually they joke about this in Homecoming. Uh, Spider-Man is useless outside a city. Uh, a tiny spoiler for Homecoming, but he's in the suburbs at one point and he's trying to chase a car and he shoots and there's no building above him. He's like, Oh, I have to run slowly like a human <laughs> because I'm useless if there's not skyscrapers around. So he's kind of inherently tied to New York in that regard. Mm. So if you don't like superhero games about cities, Spider-Man may not be for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll find out. Yeah. I guess indeed. Um, I believe that pre-orders are live this week. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, and then if you guys want details, on, you know, all the digital content and stuff that you can get, you can head on over to the, um, to the PlayStation blog. They have a, a write up over there, I believe. Um, all right. Next story. This one 
I thought was an interesting one. Uh, Middle Earth Shadow of War has ripped out microtransactions and loot boxes. So this write-up comes from Eurogamer. Loot boxes or war chests and nearly everything associated with them are being ripped from Middle Earth Shadow of War. The ability to spend real-world money and gain gold will be removed for good on the 8th of May and gold war chests and the market will be permanently removed on the 17th of July. The slightly different loot chests will remain but you won't be able to buy them. You will only be able to earn them through online conquests and online vendettas. The core promises of the Nemesis system is the ability to build relationships with your personal allies and enemies in a dynamic open world, explained developer monolith. While purchasing orcs in the market... Is mo- while purchasing orcs in the market is more immediate and provides additional player options, we have come to realize that providing this choice risks undermining the heart of our game, the Nemesis system. It allows you to miss out on the awesome player stories you would have otherwise created, and it comp- compromises those same stories even if you don't buy anything. Simply being aware that they are available for purchase reduces the immersion in the world and takes away from the challenge of building your personal army and your fortresses. In order to fully restore the core promise of the Nemesis, sy- nemesis system, will be permanent permanently removing gold war chests and market from the shadow of war. This means the option to purchase gold with a specific amount of time given for players to utilize their unused gold. I skipped a line. Oops. Hold on. This means the option to purchase gold with real world money and the ability to gain orc followers from war chests will be removed. There will be a specific amount of time given for players to utilize their unused gold. Now, if players have unused gold by the end of the time allotted to spend any remaining gold will be converted to in-game items. There is a dedicated FAQ over on Monolith's site if you guys want all of the details. But Monolith also announced plans to add more narrative elements and streamlining to the Shadow of War to the Shadow Wars part of the game's campaign. That's in addition to gameplay improvements, new skins, skill tree additions, gear system upgrades, and progression updates to come. All of this will be free. Huh. Rad. Yeah. Huh. Rad is one word for it. I feel like this is... So the reason I never really got into Shadow War was because Andrea had mentioned, Andrea, remind me if I'm wrong, let me know if I'm wrong, but I feel like you said you never really felt compelled to use the microtransactions. It was more of the pacing and the grind that turned you off. And that's why I've stayed away from the game. Um, Microtransactions are in there, but from the sound of it, they weren't something that were absolutely required to enjoy the game. It sounds like it was more of a, a pacing issue, and it sounds like they're fixing that maybe from this little press release they put out. It's yeah, it's hard to tell because they say progression updates, gear system upgrades, gameplay improvements and skill tree additions. All of that figures into gameplay progression overall, and I'm not sure exactly what these updates are. It just seems to me like why now is my biggest question. 6 months after the launch of the game, they clearly didn't hit as well commercially as they wanted to. And I don't think that that was because of the microtransactions, unlike some other games last fall that really suffered from microtransaction fatigue. Um, but I think it had to have figured in at least a little bit. What was interesting about this story is when Greg and I were talking about it on Games Daily this week, uh, somebody wrote in and said that uh, a commenter on Kotaku had mentioned well, that maybe the reason they're doing this now is so that they can shut off the online servers for Shadow of War and make it a standalone narrative single player experience that does not require online connectivity. Like, hmm, hmm, that seems like it makes sense. That does. Another possibility is that large companies move very slowly. And it's possible that 
they looked at some of the blowback their game and other games received around this last fall and said, you know, uh, maybe we need to rethink our long-term image in the light of this. Because ultimately, uh, a company is going to be heavily concerned with what they think is going to make them the most money in the long run. So they look at this and go, if this narrative undermines player trust in our products in the future, if this becomes the discussion around the next shadow of war at the, from the very beginning, that may be a problem for us. And it, they may have been saying that internally for months and just reached the point that they were able to alter the game because it is not trivial to remove an economy from a video game. Uh, no, at all. absolutely not. Yeah, so much work uh, likely went into that. So it takes time to make it happen. So they may have made the decision some time ago. Uh, and then had to go back and do this and they can't announce it until it's ready to go because what if you announce it and something goes wrong and you break your game or what if you announce it and it's outside of the quarter and you screw up your reporting or all kinds of things like that can happen. Right. So they did this now. I, I think this is probably a signal to several groups of people. Uh, one, it's to, to a signal to the media that when we get around to talking about Shadow of War 3, we're going to sit there and, or Shadow of Mortar, Shadow of whatever it's going to be. Um, we're going to look at it and say, oh, yeah, they had that in there, but they took it out. So we don't have to worry about it anymore. And that won't be the first story that's written. Second, they're going to be able to look to their investors and say, hey, we're doing what's best for our players. We heard them. We're responding. We're a responsive company that cares about what's going on. And third, they may have figured that there are some people out there that didn't buy it that might now. And what better time to get the data now when there's much less risk in terms of volume than when they get to their next big game and they have to sit there and go, this could be, you know, right now, maybe this sells another 50, 100,000 copies of this in another three years. It might be a matter of another million or two. So take the lower risk. Those are all just guesses. I could be completely talking out of my butt here. Uh, I mean, they sound like educated guesses to me. I, I agree that, the idea of them selling more copies is certainly a motivator. Obviously, some kind of definitive edition is going to be released for Shadow of War that included everything that came with the season pass, um, the story DLC and the orc tribes and everything else that was released, you know, last year. Um, it's just it, the timing of it is, is just a little, a little curious for me. I would have loved to have them communicate this a little bit sooner instead of waiting so long to address it. Even if it was just to say kind of how, you know, EA came out and said, Hey, we're working on changes to Battlefront 2. We don't have them yet, but they're coming soon and we'll, we'll touch base with you guys later. Until then, we're going to pull down microtransactions. I would have loved Warner Brothers or Monolith to maybe address the microtransactions during the microtransaction gate of 2017, um, as it were. But sadly, that wasn't the case. However, I want to make it known, I liked this game. This was not a bad game. It just was a game that didn't have enough of a hook for me as a fan. And it came out as such a busy window where we had Super Mario Odyssey, we had Assassin's Creed Origins, we had Wolfenstein 2, just to name three of the amazing titles that came out last fall. Uh, you know, we had new Zelda DLC, we had a bunch of indies that came out, and a bunch of other big AAA games. And I think it just got kind of lost in the shuffle, and these microtransactions, um, you know, problems weren't massive, but they were enough to keep people who were like, well, I've already got all of these other things I could spend my money on away. And that's that's unfortunate because I think the work the monolith did is great. It is sad to me that they undermined the one thing I think that was a big takeaway from Shadow of 
uh, Mordor, you know, the Nemesis system was truly innovative and won them a bunch of awards the year that that game came out back in, I think, in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, Britt, did you, you didn't play the original either, did you? I didn't. And it was during that period, like you said, when all these other games were coming out. It's like, okay, what do I prioritize? What do I play? And you weren't the only one who mentioned the grinding, the pacing issues. Even Steimer, who platinumed the last one, she didn't get very far in this one either. Um, and now it's, it's unfortunate because I am curious about this game and I do want to play it. But if you look at me and other people, you know, we're juggling Far Cry 5. There's got a war coming out. You have CFDs that people are still obsessed about, State of Decay, Detroit. All these other games are coming out. It's like, I can't prioritize or squeeze that in at this very moment. It's not a short game. So I don't want to say it's too little too late, Jared. Like you're saying, it could go on to sell more for them, especially if that definitive edition comes out. But uh, I actually will be curious when the next one's announced to see if there will be microtransactions in that game. Because now it's like, you did it, and then you pulled it back, which is something that we're not seeing a lot of. And so it's interesting to see what they're going to do going forward. Indeed. Indeed. All right. So, um, again, if you guys want to check out all of the details on their FAQ, you can head on over to Monolith's site. Um, next piece of news isn't exactly news. It's a rumor report. So, over at IGN.com, they received a mysterious egg in the mail. And if the clues it lead to are real... We may soon see the return of Spyro the Dragon. A package addressed to Falcon McBob was sent to IGN and it came with a purple scaly egg and a letter written from McBob saying, something's about to hatch. A quick search for Falcon McBob online gets you an interesting result. A Twitter account with the name Falcon McBob is private and its handle is at Spyro the Dragon. Of course, Spyro is also purple and scaly and through our expert analysis, we have concluded he is not an egg but a dragon that likely hatched from an egg. And this specific egg isn't exactly an iconic object from the game, so it's possible this could be one elaborate April Fool's prank sent a day late. Doubtful. If you're going to do an April Fool's prank, you don't do it the day after. Uh, the official Crash Bandicoot Twitter account is now following Falcon McBob, a.k.a. Spyro the Dragon, on Twitter. And the verified Crash account only follows 14 other accounts. So, I love course, this industry. This industry yeah, Tim, is so bonkers. Tim Geddes and I had an ongoing bet on Games Daily where he insisted that this Spyro remaster was going to be announced by the end of March. And I bet him 20 whole dollars that he was wrong. And I won. I collected my $20 this week. It was excellent. Um, but he, of course, is worked up about this. Jared, are you worked up about this? Yes, uh, because of all the mascot platformers from that era, Spyro makes the most sense to me to bring back. Uh, Crash came back largely on the nostalgia of the brand. But Spyro, I think, has the potential to be a better game. Uh, because I think Spyro will get a mechanical redo that Crash probably couldn't. And a Spyro remaster will allow them to make the mechanics a little more contemporary than was possible with Crash's limitations and things like running at the camera, stuff like that. Um, also, Spyro is a cute little purple dragon. And kids that have never heard of Spyro the Dragon are likely going to be attracted to a video game about a cute little purple dragon that flies around and does awesome stuff. Agreed. I'm, I'm a grown <laughs> old man, and I want to play a game about a cute little purple because dragons are awesome. Heck yeah. yeah, they are. Dragons are the best. If I get to, if like, if heaven is what I hope it is, I'll be a dragon when I die. That's <laughs> that's what I want more than anything. I'm so, an awesome dragon. So, what would you like to see change or improved if this trilogy comes to be? 
I think you can increase the space uh, for one thing. Obviously, you're not going to have those PlayStation era limits around draw distance and level size. So right there, you're going to be able to give more room to move and you're going to be able to put, I don't know, what do they call them in amusement parks? The weenies, the the little uh, the little things that catch your eye and make you walk toward them. Those will be a little better laid out. So you'll be able to travel in flight over more vast distances. You're going to be able to tweak the combat. So you're going to be able to change the control scheme to deal with dual analogs, which at the time that Spyro came out, if I remember correctly, were not yet industry standard. Am I, I right about that? So. Let me double check. Yep. Uh, so you're going to be able to tweak that. Uh, you'll probably be able to tweak the difficulty a little bit. Um, you're going to have much better camera work than you did during that period. You'll probably have changeable difficulty levels. You'll be able to do voice acting uh, if you want to. Uh, with high profile voice actors. And I think that that probably makes sense with Spyro. You could toyify it if you want to. I don't know if they want to go down that, that Skylanders trail again. Um, my suspicion is that that's not the direction they'll go with this. Uh, and of course, you're going to be able to do things like, uh, DLC levels, uh, which wouldn't have been possible before. I don't think they'll micro out too much at it, but I could absolutely see Spyro getting a DLC pack before it gets a sequel, for example, uh, or getting one or two cosmetics sold uh, within the product. And of course, you could do, if you wanted to, online cooperative, which you know, co-op plays fun. That would be really fun. That's what I was thinking. How would they do co-op, though? Just two Spyros running around, two dragons, a purple dragon, yeah. a dragon of your choice? I think it'd be fun, especially if you could do like a cool mechanic where maybe one of you tweaks flight off the other because Spyro's flight's limited. So have one get above the other and be able to throw each other up and fly farther and go places you can't go otherwise or, you know, the, the, the cute little things like that that could come up with, I'm sure. What are your thoughts on it, Brittany? I would be excited about it. I talked about this on the podcast. My only experience with Spyro um, is one of those old PlayStation demo discs that you would get back in the day. In the magazines, and it showed, I can't remember the name of the level, but it's the first level. It's the green one where all the sheep are bouncing around and frolicking around. And that was one of my favorite things to do when I had a PlayStation. In fact, when I made up my top PlayStation games, like I had to include that in there, just that one level alone, because it was such a serene atmosphere for me to just kind of lose myself in as a little kid. It felt very fairy tale esque. Uh, I would love to jump back in as an adult and see if I can actually play the damn game this time and not just the demo disc. I bet you probably get a chance to. I, I think this is going to happen. I yeah. think it's going to happen soon. And I like that. I like the fact you talked about the charm as a kid. And I, I imagine that's what they're banking on is that, one, kids are going to see it and be like, dragons are cool. And two, we're going to see it and be like, hey, kids, dragons are cool. Play this game with me. And then there's the marketing angle. We haven't even talked about this, but they may be sitting there going, you know, Spyro the game takes off, then Spyro the Netflix series happens, and Spyro the serial, and you know, and, cereal. and that's. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, what, yes. Mario has he's an adorable mascot, and and make him a mascot platformer again. So it appears that um, Spyro did release in 1998 on PlayStation the. Dual analog stick controller, the Sony PlayStation DualShock, the original, mm-hmm. 1997. Mm-hmm. Oh, so so it was supported but not mandatory then. Correct. Yeah. So I'm not sure if there was dual um, stick support or not. I was looking it up and it's it's unclear. And I'm gonna be honest, that was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. That was 20 years ago. 
Yeah. Oh, my God. Many years ago, you guys. Outside of stuff like Ape Escape and all that, you you pretty much had to design for the pad no matter what because most people didn't have the DualShock till the end. So it it probably were. I wonder if it was built in. What are your thoughts on this? Do you you, you love you some Spyro? I mean, I'm going to be honest and say that I have – I'm very indifferent. Um, I, I missed the PlayStation generation. Holy, I was an N64 girl back then, mm-hmm. like thick and thin. Like I never played anything but my N64. I skipped right over the original PlayStation and went straight to PS2. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did not play the original Spyro. I did not play any of the subsequent Spyros. My only experience with Spyro was his appearance in the Skylander series. And I know that a, a younger generation that was their first introduction to him too, but he, he plays such a small role in that series overall, but you know, he was kind of the poster child for early Skylanders back when that game first came out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad to see that, you know, I might have the opportunity to go back because I'm not going to play a 20 year old game. My, if my experience with Final Fantasy nine on PS4 is any indication, these games do not age well. <laughs> it, yeah. It depends on the game. Most of them don't. Some do occasionally. Spyro is fine but there's no reason for you to play the old spyro uh it'll be a much better game with remaster um it's a completely competent 3d platformer from that era and there's not any compelling reason to go play competent 3d platformers from that era anymore no there's just so much platforming happening today yeah okay um jared do you think we will see a gex or a croc next Oh Lord. Uh I, I I hope they both stay dead. Um Ge- Gex and Croc can just, just both die forever. Let them I'm die okay with, with dignity, that. right? Yeah, I, I'm gonna get this story wrong. I, I think it was Chris Kohler told it, and forgive me if I, I'm paraphrasing it incorrectly, but about Dana Gould coming in to buy Gex because the, the voice was in the game and walking into a, a GameStop and being like, Do you have Gex? And the clerk behind the counter being like it's pronounced Jex. Oh no! Like yeah. that, <laughs> and oh, that no. being his purchasing, and then they opened an argument about the game that he was in. Like um, and Jif. Yeah, I yeah, I I just no. I mean, I imagine we'll get Conquer again because he showed up on Hololens. Um, but I think that Spyro makes more sense than almost any of them. I do too. Uh, I agree. Well, I mean, after our seeing how much money Crash made, yeah. I think that they're probably falling over themselves to uh, to get this done. Um, and maybe Vicarious Visions will be the one to uh, the one to do it. Who knows? We're gonna get Crash and Smash, Andrea. Oh, oh my gosh! Now that's a whole other thing. I have no idea. Um, he would be an interesting character, mostly because of his little his little T Rex arms, but. <laughs> That's kind of like how I go through life. <laughs> well, he does have little T-Rex arms. He does. You're right. He's, he's a scary thing to look at overall. Such a, no, Crash. Crash. Oh, Crash. I think it's talking about Spyro. I was like, T-Rex arms. I was like, I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm, now it makes a lot more sense. Well, Spyro breathes fire. He's got that going for him. Yeah, he'd be awesome in Smash. I, yeah. I'd go for that. But yeah, I want, I want uh, Crash and Smash just so he can pull the bullhorn out and do the taunt. Yeah. Uh, at Mario. Uh, that'd be perfect. <laughs> that would be good. Um, all right. So, uh, we of course will keep you updated if we, uh, get an official confirmation on the Spyro remaster. Um, lastly on the docket today, um, 
apparently they're fixing Chrono Trigger because people complained about it. Uh, Jared, you added this one. It is written up over at Polygon. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Polygon's Chrono Trigger surprise release on Steam in February was great news for fans of the classic role-playing game, right up until the point what they saw what Square Enix had actually released. The Windows PC version of Chrono Trigger wasn't a faithful recreation of the SNES original, but a poorly received port of one of the company's mobile releases. Fans complained about the game's graphic and UI were ugly and carelessly brought over from the Android iOS Chrono Trigger. Modders stepped in to fix the game themselves in an attempt to restore it. Now, Square Enix says it will address Chrono Trigger's PC port in-house with a trio of patches. Quote, we have been working on addressing the issues you've raised and will be releasing a number of patches over the coming months as we continue to support Chrono Trigger on Steam. Square Enix said in an update posted to Steam. Chrono Trigger's first patch is expected in the first half of April, and that patch will include the option to switch between Chrono Trigger's existing graphics and the original graphical style. We'll post a full list of changes here when the first patch is released. For now, be assured we are working very hard on adjusting, updating, and supporting Chrono Trigger on Steam. Do you ever wonder why people make the decisions that they do? I yes, constantly. <laughs> but why constantly. would you do... Anyway. I saw, you, I saw you laughing too, Jared, as she was reading the, the, the press release. You're like, mm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, okay, so I, I am a I, big surprise here. Chrono Trigger fan. Are there people who play video games that aren't Chrono Trigger fans uh, that, that have gotten their hands on it? Andrew, do you have a, an opinion on it? I've never played it. Yeah, that's okay. That's not. No, it's no, a hard, no. It's if, a hard if, kind of game. It's, <laughs> a, it's an old game. It, it is a lovely game. It's kind of like somebody, to, to see what Scott Sharkey said, it's like somebody made a list of everything that irritates you about RPGs and then took it all out. It just left the good stuff, and uh, and oh, I, yeah, I that love. That sounds like something I, I should try then. Oh, it's a great game. It, it truly transcends the genre. It's fantastic, uh, but it, it's because it's so beloved by people that have uh, had to have the opportunity to play it for a while. Seeing it get a lackluster re-release was really frustrating, and there's a little bit of misinformation about this. It, there was already a version of Chrono Trigger on mobile. When they released the PC version, they also updated that mobile version so that they were exactly the same. The new mm. mobile version and the new PC version were both simultaneously released, and they were based on one another, not on the older one, but they were still both pretty crappy. Now, when we say crappy, that's a relative term. Chrono Trigger is a game that's renowned for its stupendous music, its beautiful graphics, and its charm. And both the beautiful graphics and the charm took a big hit in the way they chose to translate it, particularly with regard to the interfaces, which sounds like nitpicking, but Curtain Trick is just kind of the whole package. Mm-hmm. And in the sense of whimsy is a lot of what makes it work. So seeing it treated badly was frustrating. I'm amazed. I guess this is proof that if we complain enough, we sometimes get what we want in life, though. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, the squeaky wheel. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this, Brittany? I mean, you said you were just amazed about decision making, but what do you know? I, I, what do you think about this? I think it's good. I mean, it's one of those things, like I said, you ever wonder what people are thinking? I mean, I, I've said this before. Every company needs like a normal Joe Schmo in their like mist that can just be like, that's a dumb decision. And I love Square mm-hmm. Enix. I love... But this is just one of those decisions where it's like, why would you do that? I don't understand. Um, I have never finished Chrono Trigger. However, I have started it many, many times again. And it's one of my grandma's favorite games ever. Like every time I stop by, yeah, she, she loves Chrono Trigger. She's always asking if there's like a, another sequel to Chrono Trigger coming out. I'm like, grandma, I love you, but no, it's, it's not a thing that's happening. Um, 
I think this PC version has the potential to be a great version. It has a lot of the DS stuff, you know, that you got the extra levels and dungeons and whatnot. It has an autosave feature. But if they just give us some TLC, I think that's all it needs. And then it would have been an amazing release. But instead, it, people were just kind of like, bah, bah. and I was looking at some of the pictures of it. And it's all like, what do they call it? Sprite. They do something with the sprites. And then it looks all pixelated in a bad it, way. And It just looks wrong. I yeah. have it. And it just looks wrong. It, it feels cheap. It feels rushed. And it's odd because so much of it is really cool. It's a fundamentally sound game. Um, and they're... It's weird. A lot of this going into the ports. I mean, the PSN versions that were released on PlayStations had the load times. And I know that sounds like griping, but again, trying to play Chrono Trigger with load times, a game that wasn't designed with them. That was me. I, that's the first way I tried to play it was with <gasps> the load times. I know because I, I have a treadmill set up in my, in my house where I will play like retro games as I walk because it gets me active. And that was the first way I tried to play it was the PlayStation versions. PlayStation mm-hmm. 3, I think it was. And I know that it was always played by load times. And it was so bad that I had to scrap like 10 hours of progress and start back over on the Wii's Virtual Console version because that those were much better. But yeah. Well, it, yeah, that was one of the that was one of the things they fixed. I was talking about taking everything you hate about it. She's like, yeah. there are no encounter screens. You're just walking around a map, and there's a bad guy, and he's like, I'm a bad, and the battle just starts. There you are, and there's mm-hmm. no loading. There's it's no. It's not like Final Fantasy screen. 9, Andrea. It's not like it yeah. changes and then and then it pops up. Great. Yeah, it's a fun game. <laughs> Those random encounters, man. I'm so glad that I was able to turn them off in the PS4 version. But then it kind of like, then you're not doing anything as you walk around the map. But mm-hmm. if they're on, like you can't walk more than like a couple steps and you hit a random encounter. Just, and then the, the, the battle just takes so long. But then if you turn the fast forward on, not only do the battles go super fast, but all the cutscenes and everything else goes double speed. And I'm like, this is, this is broken. This is not good. See, Chrono Trigger, there are no random encounters. Most battles take 60 seconds or less to play out. Fantastic. And every encounter, because there are no random ones, is designed for exactly the point that you're at. And you could literally see it coming because you could see the guys on the screen. You're like, oh, I'm about to go fight those dudes now. Sometimes you can just go around it. Sometimes you'd be like, yeah, I want to deal with that. And it's it's delightful. Also, the characters and the yeah. art and the sublime music and the like 17 different endings. And it's, it's wow. lovely. Yeah, it's a, it's a great game. All right. Well, throw it on the pile of shame. There You'll never go. play it. It's okay. Probably, probably not. Let's, let's be real. Fine. Um, all right. That is going to do it for our news segment. Um, one last thing I wanted to add in case anyone was still keeping tabs. Lindsay Lohan's lawsuit <laughs> against Grand Theft Auto V was shot down by New York State's highest court. But the takeaway is that the ruling says that video game avatars can be considered a person's likeness, just not for poor Lindsay. Man, I remember reporting on that story. 2014. Was that clever? Oh, my gosh. It's been going on. This has been going on for years. Just a lesson to the wise. Don't get into a legal battle with Rockstar and take two interactive. They have a lot of money. They will fight you until the end of time. Insane. I mean, what's Lindsay Lohan even doing these days? So it's probably like a hobby of hers. I have no idea. If I read correctly in an article the other day, and uh, I could be incorrect, but I believe she is, in fact, the spokeswoman for Lawyers.com. Well, there you go. 
They're like, who needs a lawyer? I do. That could also I just have been a joke one. that someone put in the article. Was that an I April Fool's joke? <laughs> it it might have been. I don't know. That was I just what the article said, and and I might have read it wrong. Um, but yeah, wow. I just wanted to let you guys know it's been, it's been hopefully finalized. Hopefully, because she could still appeal. I'm reading this article. She could still appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, but she would have to show how the ruling and the state's privacy laws conflict with over an overriding constitutional law or precedent. Good luck, Lindsay. Don't do it. Just give up now. LOL. Um, all right. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about what we've been playing. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. This is the second segment of the Wesley Games Podcast, where we talk to you about what we've been playing and because I was out of town recently, I've only been playing Far Cry 5. We'll get to that in a second. We have some things written in the show notes from Brit where it says, The drunken and dehydrated game of Las Vegas where I apologize to my own reflection. Yeah, that, w- that was the moment when I knew I had gone too far. So we went to a club in Las Vegas and there was like 30 of us. So we were able to get and split these. 30? Like 3-0? Three, 3-0. Zero? Three, zero. Oh my god! I, I only knew like five of, of them. I only knew, yeah, I only knew like five of them. It was we did pretty good. So we're at a club in Las Vegas, and so we were able to split the cost between everyone and get like two amazing VIP tables, bottle service, the whole nine yards. And it so happened that night, Lil John, get low, Lil John, happened to be performing that night. He had a DJ set, and so were you at Hakkasan? Yes, I saw Lil John at Hakkasan during Dice. Get the fuck out, girl. Yeah, it's where his new residency is, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't even know till the day of. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool, you know. So we were all there, and Vegas is very dry. You feel like a raisin by the time you leave. And so oh, it's terrible. <laughs> way too dehydrated. Did not even realize it. And, of course, they got me and my husband a, a fifth of whiskey or whatever it is of whiskey because we're the only ones who drank the whiskey. We didn't want the vodka, whatever. Had a little too much. Um, danced my butt off. I am actually still sore, and the, par- the club was Saturday. My legs still hurt. So anyway, I'm stumbling my way to the bathroom and I do my business and I walk out of the bathroom and I turn right and I bump into another girl. I'm like, oh my God, I am so sorry. And then I realized it was my reflection. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I was like, okay. Time oh my God. <laughs> was your reflection offended? I, I, you know, I laughed at that reflection and it laughed back at me. So I think that's a good sign that we're cool. Okay, no beef between us. <laughs> That's spectacular. I really want to steal that for a movie someday. That's great. <laughs> so that I happened. Had, I had this moment of uh, imagining you having a, a Peter Pan moment where he like is actually like interacting with his shadow. I would really like, <laughs> like to see that reenacted someday. That is an epic story. But it was a good impressed. story. Um, so because of that, I flew to Vegas the day after we recorded our last show last week. And I just got back like a day or two ago. So I haven't played anything other than Far Cry. But that was a good game that I played. The uh, apologize to my own reflection. Look for the sequel next year. So let's talk about let's talk about Far Cry. Jared, you've been playing Far Cry. Um, how far into the game are you? Uh, not tremendously far. Uh, probably a few hours in at this point. Uh, far enough that it's turned into Far Cry. Uh, and okay. Yeah, that it's it's it sure is Far Cry. What does um, that mean for you? Uh, what that means for me is that it's a big, open, very weird, very Ubisoft world full of points on the map that I slowly want to turn into my points on the map and lots of places that I wonder, wonder around that aren't 
quite as well done as a place in San Andreas would be, but it's still good enough for me to enjoy myself and that there are bears and turkeys jumping at me. <laughs> and it's true. Those turkeys, man. Yeah, those turkeys, those vicious turkeys. Yeah, the honey badgers oh, previously yeah. were vicious. But man, the turkeys this time around, I was not, I was not ready. I actually screamed out loud once when a turkey attacked me. Cause if you're not looking at the camera, like it'll like, um, it'll do like a quick turn to whatever's attacking you. It's usually either a cougar or a turkey. Well, now, when I say, when I say it turned into Far Cry, Far Cry is like, it's like the Ridley Scott of video games. It's the pretty good video game you're playing while you wait for better video games to come oh. out. And I like it. It's creative. It's it's interesting, but it's also absurd and right, rote and repetitive. It has very heavy-handed, thoughtful themes right next to ridiculously zany, this-makes-no-sensical things. And and it's not quite as charming as Final Fantasy XV was in the embrace of both those. Like, it doesn't synergize quite as well. But it's still so lavish and, and so well done that what it is trying to accomplish uh, as an open world game mostly succeeds in as long as you don't mind understanding that you're pretty much going to be doing the same seven or eight things over and over. And those things are fun. And so it's OK. But uh, it mostly made me wish I was playing Metal Gear 5 um, uh, a lot of the time. I think that was that was my take on it. What would you all think? Um, that's an interesting, an interesting take. Um, I've been playing more since we spoke about it last week. I'm now into Hope's area of Faith. Hope? Faith. Faith. Faith is her name. Yeah. Uh, Faith's area of Hope County. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> um, and, um, meeting some new characters and, um, kind of revisiting some of the areas in, uh, John's section of Hope County and, um, really just reminding myself that the, the gameplay at its core is fun. And even though it is absolutely repetitive, it's, I don't mind it because it's fun and the polish is there and the world is really well executed. I agree though that the same criticisms that we talked about last week on the show of it being repetitive and kind of feeling the same and really wanting them to have taken uh taken the narrative a little bit further it's clearly like these are you know really diabolical villains in the vein of all far cry villains i just wanted them to take more of a an actual like stance on on it and have a more of a point of view but they didn't do that and that that theme has carried out through me uh carried throughout for me but i i want to be sure because i got some feedback from last week's episode I like this game a lot. Like, this game is great. It's fun. Will it be a game of the year contender for me? Probably not. But it doesn't mean I'm not having an awesome time. Right? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's, I feel the same way. So I just finished Faith's Region. Um, so John was the first one we did, right? That we talked about last week. I yeah. think John and Jacob mixed up. Okay. So I, I finished John's and I did, I think all but two of the missions in that region. And I think there's what, like 40 something. And then I moved on to Faith's and I did maybe all but 20 and I'm playing co-op with my husband, Jared. And he is, he told me, he's like, Hey, I'm having a lot of fun playing, but it's starting to sizzle. He's like, we have two more regions of this and it's very repetitive. Like you guys were saying, you know, it's go to the out. And while I appreciate that the outposts all look significantly different and it is fun to get in there, you know what you're going to find. You're going to find loot. You're going to find ammo. You're going to find some silver bar somewhere. You're going to find a safe, maybe a perk magazine or something. But 
I, I'm losing that interest of trying to explore every single outpost because I know what I'm going to find isn't going to be anything significant. So we did maybe all but 20 of Faith's missions, and then we finished the the fight with Faith. And I won't spoil anything, but it was a very intense scene that was like, holy shit, this is intense, but it's so well done. I think Faith was a very well done villain. Um and it was very, uh, not emotional, but it definitely like, I <gasps> took my breath away. I was like, that was intense. And then, you know, as soon as that scene's over, there you are right back into Hope County with people making jokes about this, that, and the other, getting chased down by a wild turkey. And I understand that's Far Cry, but, um, you know, it's just, it is what it is. It's, that's what you're going to get. And I think if you go into the game without expectations, you know, really fun gameplay, but the story is going to be a little wonky, then you're going to have a great time with it. And that's what I'm feeling. But I feel like I'm at the point now where I don't need to do everything in every region because I know what I'm getting. I would trade all of my perks for the ability to sew my teammates' mouths shut. Um, <laughs> when Nick rides in the air, he's like yelling at you. Yeah, I just like, really, just please stop talking. The the, the dog's great because the dog doesn't talk. Uh, but I, I really do enjoy the game. It's a good game. And we've been talking about repetitive, repetitive. Re- repetition be great in video games. I mean, this Pac-Man is repetitive. Uh, yep. it's also one of the best video games I've ever played. Uh, it's, it's the way the repetition fits into the overall arc of the thing. It's a pretty good game that's totally worth a lot of your time. And I have a feeling that in two months, I'll have forgotten I played it. Yeah, that seems, that seems about right. Um, and I think that that ties back into, you know, what I was saying about how I wish it had more impact. So, um, I've heard the ending of the game is good. So what I'm planning to do is maybe stop sidetracking myself with all of the sandbox elements of Far Cry and maybe try to just mainline some of the narrative content just so I can get through it and see. And then if I feel like, you know, going back when they release, ultimately release DLC, um, I, I do love how every time I take over an outpost, there's the guy at the Far Cry arcade. Oh yeah. This is the best game I've ever played. played. Do you know you can make your own levels in this game? And I'm like, dude, seriously, shut up. I don't want to play Far Cry (laughs) arcade, but I've, I've heard that they've, there's already like a, like a PUBG clone in there and that there's a, there's some other kinds of clones of games that that are being made in, uh, in Far Cry arcade. I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch over the next coming weeks and months to see like what the community makes there. But I haven't really dabbled in the Far Cry arcade yet. And I know that that was like a big selling point for, for some gamers out there who are like, not really that interested in the narrative of Far Cry. I just want to do the, the UGC content, the user generated stuff. I find it the most intriguing part of the game. Uh, I love content creation kits. I love what GTA 5 did with theirs in particular. And anytime a game ships with the ability to make your own stuff, whether it be Little Big Planet 3, GTA 5, or on and on, uh, Mario Maker, which was my game of the year that year, uh, I'm, I get pretty excited about chances to dabble into them. But I haven't dived into this one yet because it is an investment. And that's good because it's powerful. Right. But it's it's also going to take some time. And really, I probably ought to – I'm probably ready to start shifting my focus that way already in I'm excited to jump into it because I think the gameplay in the co-op in Far Cry, besides like the limitations with perks that you can unlock, is fantastic. Um, and I've heard that there are like haunted houses people have created in there. They've created some really fun levels that I think would be really fun to go through with a friend or a husband or a wife. So that's something I really want to hop into. I don't think I'll do that until after I finish the campaign, though, for, for some weird mental block reason. But I'm excited to hop into it. It'll be the first time I've done user-created levels like that. I never did Mario Maker stuff. I never – yeah, so – It'll be fun, I think. Um, 
friend of the show and patron of What's Good Games, Molly. Molly. Molly Bittner has a blog over at mollymog.com um, where she talks about her top five frustrations with Far Cry 5. And she mentions the trophy in the arcade competitor trophy achievement. It says that uh, uh, she says here, this trophy is annoying. Want me to play 10 multiplayer matches? Fine. No problem. Want me to specifically play 10 featured multiplayer maps? Okay. That's a bit harder because the whole lobby has to vote on the map, but sure. Wait, you want me to win 10 multiplayer maps? So in order for me to get this, the lobby I'm in has to vote for a featured map and my team has to win. If you're going to make this a trophy, at least put me in a lobby where only featured maps are available. This is a huge grind. I did not realize that that was a thing that existed. Me neither. Um, I, I think I don't associate Far Cry with multiplayer. I think Far Cry co-op and like that's it. Um, have you guys dabbled with the multiplayer in um, arcade at all? Mm-mm. No, it, it's not something I've fooled with at all yet. And, uh, you know, I, I trophies are not my thing. But for those they matter to, I would just be furious at this. I'd be screaming. Uh, I, I don't care one way or the other about them. But if you're a completionist and completion, the whole idea behind trophies is to bring us to elements of the game we might not otherwise experience. This goes well beyond that to the, yeah. the realm of. It's literally grinding. Yeah, that's that's not good at all. Boo, Ubisoft. It reminds Boo. me. This is going way off track. Remember with Mass Effect Three, how you had to play on- for a while. There's a part where you had to play online in order to get like the most points or whatever, so you could get the best ending. And then the points would slide if you were stepped away from the game for a couple yeah. of days. Yeah, girl. Nani oh, nani. It was the worst. And that's why I don't fool with truth. Nope. <laughs> exactly. Um, so there's other stuff that, um, that, Jared, you have been playing. Last week, we talked about how Punch-Out was coming to Switch and how Miss Brittany has never played Punch-Out. Can you inform Brittany of the amazing wonder that is Punch-Out? Yeah. Okay. So let's be clear, though, Brittany. The version of uh, Punch-Out that's come to Switch is not the version of Punch-Out you should play first. Okay. Uh, because the one that's coming to Switch is the arcade game. Nintendo's video game history really starts in three places. It starts with these simple home pong clones. It starts with Game & Watch, the little portable flip-out things. And it starts with arcade games. And Nintendo for a long time has almost pretended that they never made arcade games, uh, even though they have a, a pretty rich back catalog of them. And even on things like Virtual Console, you wouldn't find access to most of Nintendo's arcade games. So Punch Out started life as an arcade uh, setup. It's actually you can go over to uh, uh, you can go over to uh, High Scores Arcade in Alameda and play the cabinet. It's two monitors, one on top of the other. The bottom monitor is your boxer. You see through his body. You're standing third person behind him. You see through his body, which is a grid, and then on the other side is a really cool, well animated enemy boxer. The screen above is like your status screen. It's got the time, your health, how the match is going, all that's happening up, and it's a neat piece of tech because it was a really sophisticated arcade cabinet for when it came out. And it still looks good because of that color and the, the neat sound effects. But it is ultimately more a curio. They accomplish it on the Switch by putting two four by three side by side on your screen. So you can just look down there and see both monitors. And you're kind of playing on the right side and glancing over at the left. But that's not the definitive version of the game. Uh, it is something I recommend people try out if they care about the history of Nintendo or the history of, of uh, rhythm games or sports games, uh, or if they just care about the fact that Nintendo is finally releasing their arcade games and maybe we should throw them some money so they'll keep doing it. But if you're going to play Punch-Out! Right, you want to go to the NES and play that one because that is the definitive edition. 
And that has a lot to do with the fact that it looks like a sports game, but it's not. It's a rhythm puzzle game. Mm. And it's one of the best rhythm puzzle games ever. Um, oh, I'm getting a look. Uh, I did not realize this. No. Yeah, that's not a sports game at all. That's a, that's a rhythm puzzle game. I don't um, think I ever. I don't think I ever played the arcade version. Now that we're talking about it. Yeah. So the arcade version is is different. And again, worth your time. It's a good game. It's just not as good as the NES one. It looks better, but it's not quite as smooth. It's it, it's it's obviously the first draft for what would become the the NES game. And the NES game is a series of what about two puzzles. Each boxer has to be defeated a different way. And there are these cues you pick up on, and every fight has its own rhythm. And you start to get a feel for it after a while. And you start to figure out how to counter and what the cues are and solve the puzzle. And then when you beat that boxer, the next one's puzzle is a little harder. And there's more cues. And after your reactions have to be better. And so by the time you get to Tyson at the end, or Mr. Dream if you're playing the other edition, you've just mastered. It's sort of like getting really good at DDR. Okay. And and you get to the end. Because you can go straight to Tyson at the beginning. You can enter the code, go to the final boss. They were so confident you'd have no chance against him that they released the code practically the same time they released the game. They're like, hey, just jump right to the final boss. Go ahead. We dare you. (laughs) And you couldn't beat him. You could not beat him because it would be like trying to do the last song in DDR first. And Mm. you didn't have the skills. And so you get back and build up and build up. And it's just perfect in its execution of that. Um, I do think that both the arcade game and the NES game, it does bear noting that both uh, are rife with uh cartoonish stereotypes and that that should be noted um and i'm not going to make an excuse for it uh it is uh, i'm not going to say one not going to say anything except that that exists it's not okay it is there and you need to be ready for it before you go in um and that this is a piece of history and i i do think it's worth experiencing and it's a, a very well designed game that has some real problems uh, so know that before you play it. But yeah, try the NES version. And if you want to play the Switch version after that, do that. But don't do it before or you'll be like, what's the big deal? Because it's not nearly as rhythmic well, as, as what they accomplished. I have an NES. I have a copy of Punch-Out. I, I collect games and I have some that I got at a garage sale. Maybe I'll fire it up. Yeah, when you fight the first couple of boxers, you'll be like, what's he talking about rhythm? I'm just punching. And then you'll start to get farther. You're like, oh, this guy is a puzzle. Oh, wow, there's only one way to beat him, and I've got to figure it out. And then i got to get the timing perfect on every step of that. And so it's like Shadow it's of the Colossus is what you're saying. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kind of is like Shadow of the Colossus. That's a very good comparison. Thanks. I never thought about it that way. And I think it's probably because I haven't played Punch-Out for like 20 years, probably. Um, but it was a game that I played with my dad and my sister on our NES, like in my dad's basement. Like I have vivid memories of like the corner where the TV was set up mm-hmm. and just playing over and over and over again, trying to beat these boxers one at a time. And it was like so, such a tough game, um, that, um, I think we had the guide for it and mm-hmm. we ended up, um, we probably ended up putting codes in and skipping some of the boxers. Yeah. You could do that. You could yeah. skip ahead. And did you ever beat it? Um, yes. Eventually, um, it took a long, long time, but it was just like one of those like quintessential NES games that it's like when you talk about that system, you have to talk about Punch Out. And by the way, this is very important. Uh, if you're playing it on Wii Virtual Console, if you're playing it on any, uh, HDTV from any source, make sure you're on game mode, uh, because Tyson, the timing is so ridiculous that that nanosecond matters. Uh, and, uh, if, if you have an old NES, best way to play it's honestly on a CRT because it actually 
is a little harder if you try to play it on an HDTV because even with game mode, there's still a little latency and the timing on Tyson is just vicious. Noted. That would be fun. Do you, do you have a CRTV? Brit? I don't. I don't, but I'll happily get one. Does I your grandma? Awesome. Yeah, she does. Of course she does. See, there you go. Just awesome. go to grandma's house. Um, a game that I recently finished on Switch, uh, that I talked about previously on the show was, um, Bayonetta. So I'm really excited to start Bayonetta 2. Um, I only dabbled with it on Wii U, never played the original Bayonetta. Um, I, what I found when I got to the late chapters of the game, have you played it for Switch or did you play it on Wii U when I came out? I don't play video games that remind me of Sarah Palin. So <laughs> I, um, no, um, Bayonetta is such a better person than sarah sarah palin is though no i fooled around with bayonetta but it has never grabbed me i understand the appeal uh but it is is not really my cup of tea hey that's fair it's not it's not everybody's i didn't think it was going to be my cup of tea either and then i i really got into it um and i now i understand why you know there's so many fans of bayonetta out there um my 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 only gripe with the game because i thought that the uh, the level design was neat. I liked, um, I liked the creative bosses that they picked. Of course, they're all different types of angels in the game. Um, and my only problem though is that it's, there's certain sections of the game that make you die in order to learn. And I kind of just hate that as a game mechanic. This idea that, you know, there's really, I, I can't imagine a world in which somebody could figure out how to get through the specific boss fight or the specific level run without dying at least once. And I just don't understand why that's a thing, especially if I'm playing it on easy in a game that has multiple difficulty levels. I get if I was going in through it on hard, then that's on me as the, or the player to figure it out on the fly. But if I'm on easy, I put it on easy for a reason. <laughs> Don't punish me. I'm reminded um, of Ocarina of Time or Ocarina of Time, if you're a stickler about that. Whenever a boss fight starts, the first thing you do, you just start running in circles. Because you have to learn, yeah. like, how to defeat that boss or you will die. But yeah. granted, it was possible not to die. But I hear you. That sounds frustrating. It's been so well, long there, since I've played it. I don't remember. Well, there are sections where you can't run in circles because you're, like, in the air on this little platform and you can't move very much. And you just have to, like, dodge at the right time, but you can't learn the timing until you engage the boss to get, because some of the bosses have specific moves as you take their health bar down. So they have these health bars that have layers. So it's like you peel the first layer and there's another full health bar and then you peel that layer and then there's another. And then with each stage of the fight, they do a different, a different move set. And so the only way to learn that is by, by getting that far. If you don't die, and then they do this mechanic where if you die, you can either pick up from a checkpoint and then take a ding on the points at the end, or you can start over from your last save point and do the boss fight all the way over again. And I'm like, oh, I got to the point where it was the end of the game, and I was getting so frustrated by how difficult some of the bosses were that I was like, I don't even care if I get a stone award, which is like the basis, lowest award you can get. Um, because I was like, I just want to finish the game. And that was frustrating for me because it, I felt like it, I got to a point where I got so frustrated by the mechanics that I didn't get to appreciate the work and the boss design that went into it from Platinum. And instead I was like, I just want this over with. And I hated that I got to that point, even playing on easy. I was like, cause I was hoping that I would have more health or that I'd be able to take more hit points or like some kind of combination that my, 
my hits did more damage. But if you use potions that allow you to do those things, have more health, have more magic, be stronger, those also knock against your score. And I was like, but wait a minute, there's got to be a give and take here, right? I can't go from platinuming every boss to getting like the lowest score. Like, where's the middle ground? And so that was my only gripe about it. I, I still really liked it and enjoyed it. And I thought it played well on the Switch and that they did a good job porting that game. I am intrigued to see what they've done different with Bayonetta 2. I, I hate the moment in a video game where I discover that I'm no longer fencing with the boss, but that I'm sequencing. I understand all video games are sequences, but I like when you hide the sequence well. Mm-hmm. Um, when you hide it well, you feel a sense of achievement and a sense of accomplishment. When a video game starts to feel like a matter of endurance, mm. that can be very, very frustrating. There are exceptions. I love roguelikes, but roguelikes typically make death a core mechanic. They don't just stop with, oh, you failed, you learned something, move on. They generally have, you failed, you learned something, you learned something important, and we knew you were going to fail here. And now you're better for it. And that's a very different thing than what you're describing here. It more reminds me of trying to play an old Gradius-style shooter where you have to memorize the entire game. And if you make one mistake, you're effectively – might as well just go back to wherever you can power up at the beginning and try it again. I love shooters, but ones that make me do rote memorization I don't have a lot of love for. And this sounds kind of the same way. Yeah, exactly. That's that's definitely how I felt towards the end. But – the cutscenes are really well done in that game. There's actually quite a bit of exposition, which I wasn't anticipating for a game that's so combat focused. Um, but I really kind of am interested to hear more about this backstory and to read more about, you know, like the Lumen Sages and the Umber Witches and learn more about Bayonetta as a character. Cause I think it's kind of an, uh, I would never peg a game that puts a woman who, uses sexuality as part of her core combat mechanic and also is summoning demons to fight angels and she's the good guy mm-hmm. air quotes here um you know you don't think that that's going to work but it does and that's what i like about it and i think that's what other people really love about bayonetta and i'm excited to see more from bayonetta 3 you know hopefully we'll get a tease or something at e3 if not sooner um, but yeah, I have Bayonetta 2 on my Switch ready to go. I'm going to play it um, on my flight from Boston. Ooh, maybe right. I'll play. Because I remember when you were talking about Bayonetta originally, like a few months ago or whatever. And I played Bayonetta way back in the day. But I will play Bayonetta 2 while you play Bayonetta 2, Andrea. It'll give us something else to bond over. Yeah, that sounds great. On my flight to Boston as well. It's perfect. It's a long one. <laughs> um, so early. Yeah, I know, right? Ugh. Jared, you've been playing another game called Minute. Yeah, and uh, if you hate going back and doing the same thing over and over in games and dying, boy, are you going to hate Minute. Oh, no. Uh, no, no, no I, I don't want to speak badly of it all. Actually, Minute's delightful. Um, but it's a game about dying. Every 60 seconds in Minute, you die. That's it. You ah. have 60 seconds and you die. Uh, and your the game is lovingly rendered. It's a cute little black and white game. It's monochromatic. And this is from and, Devolver, right? Uh, yeah, Devolver published it. Um, I don't know the name of the developer. Uh, I will look it up right you're, now. You're a cute little duck, uh, black and white duck in a little kind of pixelated art style. And you start, Vlambeer. You start. I didn't know Vlambeer was making this game. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. I didn't know either, actually. Well, that's who made it. And uh, cute little duck, and you have 60 seconds. And after 60 seconds, you die. And then you respawn back at your house. And so you are constantly rushing around in this kind of uh, – it, it's it, 
plays like an action adventure game, like a top down Zelda type, but really most of what you're doing is more adventure game type stuff, puzzle solving, exploration, things like that. But you don't have your leisure. You're running out in one direction, seeing what you can find, dying, and you're kind of like mentally logging like, oh, oh, okay, I saw that. And then popping back and be like, what do I, I go in this? Oh, there's that. And you start making connections in your head and you're like, I wonder if this works with that. I wonder. And with every respawn, they're all very fast. So you just keep popping. You even have a suicide button. So you can just and pop back to your house. If you saw something like, oh, okay, I can't do it in the next 20 seconds. I need to go back. And okay. you die over and over again. And gradually as you die, you pick up items, fight enemies, meet allies, solve puzzles, advance through the land. And then just when you think you've gone about as far from your house as you think you could in 60 seconds, you find another house and you establish residency there by walking in. And now you've got another base to pop out from. But then you can go back to old houses and then gradually pathways open that are speed like like shortcuts between places and new puzzles build on things that came earlier on and you get speedy shoes to go faster you know things like that it's a really cute fun funny game my favorite little bit is actually very early in the game everybody talks super fast and you just read really fast because you don't have time otherwise and you go to this one like lighthouse and he's it's very far from your starting point so you're already almost dead when you get there and there's this turtle and the turtle <laughs> talks like this. No, and, he's okay. gi- and he's giving you this ridiculously useful information, but you're standing there hoping you don't die before he finishes as long. It's really cute. It's not perfect, but it's really creative and interesting, and they did a lot of neat stuff with it. I I, I can't wait for um for minute two where I see kind of a refinement, but even what's there is absolutely worth your time. It's like 10 bucks on PS4. Uh, and it's fun. It's several hours worth of content. Uh, there's a lot there. I had a great time with it. I like ducks. It's about a duck. <laughs> um, big fan of ducks. Uh, so I got that. Fan it. of ducks. Yeah, absolutely. And if you played something like half minute hero back in the day or anything like that, it's, I like this better than that. And I liked that. Um, so, so I do not like being timed in a game. Particularly when it feels like, like in Resident Evil. Have you played Resident Evil? Absolutely. Okay, so you know what it's like. It's like, get the GTFO out of this place because it's going to blow up. But were you, did you ever feel frustrated while playing Minute? Well, so you and I share that fear. Okay. Uh, I, I can't play Majora's Mask. Oh. It's too stressful. It drives me nuts. I, I can't do it. And Resident Evil is really hard. I did a rocket run video for IGN once and that three hour time limit, I thought I was going to die. Um, but, this doesn't feel that way because it's so quick and because you very, 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 there's always just enough time. And if you screw up, there's no penalty. It's just bam, pop right back to the starting point, And you were at most, you know, 45 seconds away from what you were trying to do before at most. Yeah. And it's designed in such a way you very rarely have to do anything tedious like that. So Brittany, I, I hate games with time limits and I love this game. Uh, well, if that helps, uh, there's just not enough stakes uh, to make it, pressure there's you, you can never run out of lives you never lose any items you never lose any progress you're just experimenting and having fun and they just found ways to build puzzles that get they don't feel more stressful they just feel more exciting that's awesome that's good to yeah. hear why isn't this game on switch i don't know uh it seems like a very good fit and uh, i don't have an answer to that so what i have heard from some other indie developers, and I am not going to speak for the team behind Minute because I don't know their specific reasons. So please, uh, you know, 
make sure that that is a caveat is that um, Nintendo doesn't have as clear of a production pipeline for independent developers to publish their games on the Nintendo platform as Xbox and PlayStation and obviously Steam as you can self-publish. Um, so that's why we don't see some indie games come to Switch is because they had either requested dev kits and never received them from Nintendo or they have no one to contact inside Nintendo to actually submit the game for certification for publication onto the platform. Now, that's interesting. We spoke with uh, – on kind of funny, actually, on Gamescast a couple of weeks ago with Damon from Nintendo, who's sort of the, the face of the Nindies program. And he addressed some of these things right there. So – I'm going to be a jerk and plug somebody else's show in the middle no, of yours, but that episode I mean, is all can, about that. Of course you can plug kind of funny yeah. as a show. But uh, that's that's a good place to go. With, he had some really interesting answers and, and clarifications around this that I think uh, help with that. I have no idea how that speaks to this game, but we just pointed up, asked him how you get your game on Switch, and he told us. Uh, so it's a, it's a neat uh, – it, it was a neat conversation. I recommend you go take a look at that. There's some cool stuff in there, Andrea. All right. Well, I will do that then. I think uh, that's probably going to wrap it up for our hands-on segment, um, unless you want to talk about part-time UFO. Oh, I, I just love to evangelize part-time UFO whenever I get the chance. Uh, it was released a few weeks ago on iOS and Android. It's a pay-one-fee, and you've paid for it forever mobile game. It's like like five bucks or less, but it's by uh, Hal, uh, who make the Kirby games and, and some of the oh, other nice. stuff. Yeah, Nintendo yeah. Second Party. And it's about a little UFO. You know, in Japan, the claw machines that you catch like little stuffed animals and snacks and they things out of. They have those here too in America. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> Obligatory Japan well, reference? No, it, it, I said Japan because in Japan, they're called UFO catchers. Oh. Uh, here we call them claw machines. But in Japan, they're called UFO catchers. And the reason I brought up Japan is because the game is part-time UFO. You're a tiny little UFO, like a quarter the size of a person. And you have a giant UFO catcher claw coming out of you. And you fly your little UFO around it and drop the claw and pick things up just like you would out of UFO catcher. Hence, it's a kind of a pun. And you carry these pieces you're picking up around and drop them down to do stuff like help people out with their tasks. The whole gimmick is you have a part-time job helping people out because you can't get full-time employment. So your little UFO is helping like rebuild the Parthenon with little pieces. And it's a sort of a timed puzzle game, but there's no in-app purchases and no ads and it's high quality, slick, super polished. It is a great way to spend time on a commute or when you're just sitting on your couch. And I, I'm kind of evangelizing this little game because I like it a lot. Oh, well, I'm going to have to check it out then. Um, Do you need to be connected to the internet to play? I haven't noticed any need for that on mine. Because I am always on the hunt for mobile games that I can play on airplanes or places where I don't have cell phone connection. And everyone's always like, oh, play Fortnite, play Hearthstone, play Arena of Valor. And like, those are all fine. Those are all fine games, but, you know, I'm not going to play it on Wi-Fi on the airplane, even though I did pay for Wi-Fi to play Hearthstone once upon a time. That was a mistake. Don't, no, I don't, don't think do there's, I don't think there's any it, online required. Part-time UFO, desert golfing, uh, game dev story. Uh, go grab some of those. Those are, game those dev are wonderful. Story. That's a good one. Yeah, I love game dev story. Yeah. That game's so much fun. I, I miss that game back in the day when it first came out. I was more of a tiny tower kind of person. Oh, I love tiny tower. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Loved it. Do you remember Tiny Death Star? Yep. Oh, and then it went away. I liked Tiny Vegas. Was, oh, I never played Tiny too. Vegas. 
it was good. But yeah, um, the, the time-based ones though, I kind of, I, I started to lose interest in because you obviously have to check in constantly. Um, but my sister got really big into tiny tower. And so we were playing at the same time and she would show me her tower and it was just like, Oh my gosh, so many stories. I was like thinking to myself, you've been playing this game religiously <laughs> to have that many, that have that many levels. Um, but I will definitely check this out. Thank you so much for the, for the recommendation. When we come back after the break, we're going to find out all about the shows that Jared runs over on his Patreon and um, we're probably going to talk about some video games shock of all shocks video games stay with us everybody we'll be right back Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the final segment of the What's Good Games podcast. And this is all about Jared. Oh, no. What do you mean, oh, no? Oh, why would anyone want to listen to that? Because you're you awesome. have this soothing, sultry voice that just sounds so wonderful in a microphone. Sultry? Yeah. Yeah. Really? I always wanted so. to be sultry. I like it. I always thought I sounded kind of like that guy from The Princess Bride or the dinosaur from Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's like okay, inconceivable. Now, now, now that you say that, um, okay, I kind of hear it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of hear it. Yeah, also, Wallace Shaw. Yeah, I love, I love both of those movies so much. Oh, Toy Story is great. Yeah, I actually have a T Fury shirt that says the Inconceivables, and it's a riff on the um, Incredibles, except it's all of the characters from Princess Bride. Oh, so great. I love yeah. that. I want, can I, I'm I'll gonna, show it to you yeah, afterwards. I yeah, it's it's that. pretty it's pretty wonderful. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. Wait, uh, which one? The Incredibles or Princess, the Princess Bride? That one, Princess Bride. Uh, Britt, I, I think that you'll genuinely enjoy it, even despite all the hype around it and people are like, oh, it's so, but really it's a delightful movie. Uh, I think you'll like it a lot. I also introduced her to the labyrinth for the first time. Power of the babe? Yes. The babe with the power. Power of the babe. Did you like it at all, Brett? I did. I really enjoyed it. This is the thing is I haven't seen a lot of classic films. So whenever we're in San Francisco for a powwow, I'm introduced to these amazing films. So maybe the next one can be the princess bride. Oh, the oh Princess gosh, Bride is, is so sort of the definition of delightful. Like it, it is just – if you're just like, wow, I want to watch 110 minutes of pure joy, uh, that's The Princess Bride. It, it's it's really great in that regard. Yeah. It's – yeah, it's good. Okay. I'm putting it on, on the to-do list, Britt. Sweet. It's happening. Um, but, Jared, so at the beginning of the show, we talked about how you have a Patreon, a hop, lip, and a jump. Yeah. And previously, you had that um, geared towards pockets full of soup. Mm-hmm. So let's start with talking about uh, your new thing. So for people out there who have not heard about hot, hop, blip, and a jump. I should have picked a name easier to say, shouldn't I? <laughs> That's such a cute name. Is. Um, what What is this show? All right. So hop, lip, and a jump is a video-oriented series, first off. It exists on YouTube at youtube.com slash Hop, blip, and a jump. Not too hard to find. Uh, but it's kind of a part documentary, part diary series about how everything we love in games is connected. It's a very personal look at games uh, from a direction that I don't think a lot of people in the video space are going to right now, which is, what does this all mean for our lives? What, what, what is? And I'm not talking about, oh, that's awesome or that's fun. It is criticism, but it's much more about, here's how this changed us changed me individually or changed us as a people or how it continues to change the world we live in. Um, that sounds 
ridiculously pretentious. I think when you watch, it's it's not actually that bad. The first episode is about uh, the time I spent in a uh, mental health institution uh, last year. Uh, I was hospitalized for a while, and about how, of all things, during the course of my treatment, uh, Super Mario Odyssey kind of latched onto my life and became a integral part of my recovery. And that got me thinking a lot about how video games have profoundly affected us, both as individuals and as a society, and and what they're teaching us and how they, like a good film or, or a good book, they both reflect life and help define it. Um, the episodes are short. I try to keep them between eight or ten minutes. The, the footage is mostly gameplay, and it's gameplay that's tied to the script. It's a scripted series. Um, but we sit down and we go, look – there's this thing you'd notice and there's this thing you notice and there's this thing you noticed about games and you love them all. But do you ever thought about how they connect? History is a part of it, but it's only a part. Uh, it's really more about the contemporary emotional and uh, artistic gravity of the medium. And I think that kind of criticism gets done in think pieces sometimes in, in the writ- in written form and long form pieces. But I don't think it's been touched on much in uh, the YouTube space yet. And it's a niche that I think maybe I can fill okay. I, I, I don't think I'm completely blundering it yet. So the first episode was uh, about Mario and his identity as the jump man, as the seminal video game character. Yeah. Uh, I had to use that word, of course. But, um, uh, yeah, it's just fun to say it. Um, but, you know, ultimately when you look at Mario, and I totally stole this idea from Jen Frank, which I mentioned in the video, he's the guy who jumps over things. Uh, Mario runs and he jumps and any obstacle in any game he's made to jump over. Uh, that's really what he exists for all the way back to how he was first created as, as a series of artistic compromises because they had to have a hat on him because they couldn't draw his hair and they had to put a mustache on him because he couldn't do his mouth right. And, and so he came into being as a video game character. And when I was in the hospital, I was very sick. Um, I'd fallen into a very deep bout of depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress. And I was at a place where things like reading and writing were were very difficult. Thinking straight for more than a couple of minutes was very difficult. I'm sitting in this literal, like, you know, padded rooms and sterile tile floors, surrounded by people that if they're the staff, smile too much. And if they're not the staff, they don't smile at all. And there's tears and tissue boxes and, and it's scary. And uh, I sat with an art teacher and his uh, art therapy, which I didn't really understand was a, you know, I'd heard of it, but I didn't really know how it worked. They just like, they just want you to accomplish something at a time when you feel like you can't do anything. They wanted us to make collages. And I hate collages. Collages suck. Um, If you like them, I'm sorry. (laughs) I really, really hate them. And it was funny. It was like the first like actual emotional response to anything I had in a while besides despair was, oh, man, collages. And so the art teacher was pretty groovy, though. So I just turned my sheet of paper over and it's like, I could start writing. He didn't care. He just wanted us to try something. And then I was like, oh, wait, I can't write. I haven't been able to write in ages. And I started writing anyway. And I started writing about Mario. And I figured out that Mario and I were born almost exactly the same time. I'm a little older than he is, but he grew up faster than I did. And they sort of been there with me the whole time. Um, 
when I was four years old, my babysitter used to roll footballs at my feet and I would go do 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 and jump over them like uh, Donkey Kong. And I'd pick up my toy hammer and, you know, try to smash him. And when I was at my like sixth birthday party, I go and there's the Super Mario Brothers arcade machine there. And, and I, so it, the world just went on. And, but it, it transcends nostalgia. I'm not talking about nostalgia. I'm talking about the fact that he was always there at every stage of my life. And I thought about how Mario Odyssey was at home and how I just hadn't had joy in anything, even the things I loved most. And as I was sitting there in the room, I felt the weight of my cell phone in my pocket because I hadn't taken it away from me. And I realized he's right here in this room with me. It's like, this is so weird. And I'm still writing this whole time. It's like, I had Mario run on my phone. It's like, here I am in a freaking mental hospital. And the one person I brought in with me is Mario. And it just sort of clicked that he'd always been there and he always was jumping over things. And if he could, maybe so could I. And I know that sounds so dumb or weird or, but it was this moment where for a second something clicked. And they always ask you in the mental hospital about who you're grateful for, what you're grateful for, you know? And, uh, I hadn't been able to answer the question all the times they'd asked. I didn't feel grateful for anybody, even the people I love most in the world. I didn't feel grateful for them in that moment. It just felt like death. But in that second, I realized I was grateful for Mario. And it was this turning point. It's not like I magically got better there at all. But for the first time in weeks, I felt hopeful. And I went back home that night and I fired up Odyssey and there was New Donk City and there was Donkey Kong in barrels and there was Mario in his 8-bit glory and there was Mario in his 64-bit glory and there was Mario as he was now and a whole generation of developers saying to me, hey, by the way, we're young, we're new, we're doing this, but we know where we came from. We know what you're here for. We don't care if you're a kid or you're a grown-up. Mario's for all of us. And I wept and I had fun for the first time in a long time. And over the course of that next month, as they put me back together, um, Mario sort of became a, my confidant and it was the doctors and the drugs and the therapy that put me together. Mario sort of became this thing I latched on to. And, uh, the weekend before I graduated the program, I got to darker side and I was like, well, I got to climb that building. I cannot leave that program before I beat this. And so the night before, late, 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 late into the night, there I am banging away at darker side and sure enough, get to the top of that building. And there's that same stupid monkey up there at the top. And I just lost it. And I was so happy. And I went out and I graduated and they said, you know, like I've been telling people, I, I, I'm not well, but I'm better. That was the beginning. Um, and I realized if I had that experience, then so did lots and lots of other people that love this medium. And I started trying to get those kinds of stories together and also examining, wow, I have ranted a long time here. I'm sorry. I'm no, sort of it's an amazing story. It is. You're not ranting at all. No. So I've taken it out to what James Burke did with his beautiful series, The Day the Universe Changed. So, you know, what about life that we just assume do we not even realize we're assuming anymore in this art form? So the second episode was about, ostensibly, it was about the console wars, but but really it was about the idea that maybe the fact that everything we make is, everything in this medium is so different 
and built on opposition might actually be a very good thing for the art that limitations define what we can do. The episode I'm working on right now is about children and parents and generations in games, um, touching on everybody from, uh, from an old Ninja Gaiden games to Kratos and his son to, uh, uh, the boss to other characters like that and how a sequel in a weird way is a kind of a child of its creator, how, how a, somebody makes a game and they make another one and it's different, but it's part of the same. It's kind of like a parent child relationship. And then the one after that will be about death, uh, which is actually one I'm really looking forward to. So that's the project. And, um, it's scripted closely cut and it's well put together, I think, as well as I can. I'm learning. The first episode's rougher on the edges and the second. I'm getting better. Um it's a kind of thing that would never make sense for media backed um uh traditional outlets. And I love media backed traditional outlets, but you couldn't make the series. It's way too time intensive uh for the for the return you get on the ads. So crowdfunding's really my only place to go with that. And this isn't the only show I produce. But it's where my focus is right now, and uh, that's what I'm doing. And so I, I believed in it enough. I quit my job to do it. Uh, I had the option to to stay and do something that was very interesting and decided, no, I think it would be nice for this to exist for a while. So I'm taking a shot at it. And you all know more about that than I do, definitely. Uh, uh, I think we're we, – we know about it, you know, in di- just in different perspectives, you know, like when we were getting ready to launch our Patreon for what's good. I mean, we went through probably all the same range of emotions that you went through, you know, like the, a mix of like, I'm super excited and nervous and I might throw up and what if nobody likes it? You know, what if people like it, but they don't want to pay for it. And then what if I can't afford to keep doing it and then I have to quit? Like, I mean, I think every content creator who has contemplated crowdfunding in any kind of sort, you know, goes through that whole range of emotions and you know we're obviously just like you are grateful for your patrons we're incredibly grateful for ours too because as you've mentioned you know getting content out there that doesn't have an immediate return on investment is is a hard sell you know even for what we do it's you know trying to figure out a way to monetize it so that we can make a living on it is something that we're still trying to figure out you know and it's it's tough because we love what we do here at What's Good Games, but like trying to sell a two to three hour podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> to somebody, you know, is like, they're like, wait a minute, that's way too long. But, you know, we find that people who listen to the show love that it's that long um, and that they get mad when it's short. <laughs> oh, I love when it's that long. I, I think you guys, as, in terms of long podcasts, there's no better than what you do here. I mean, I, oh, I'm not, I'm not buttering now. you up. No, 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 no. I, I'm not, I have a, a sweet spot for podcasts that is probably about half of the length of this one, probably about 90. And then I listen to y'all and I'm like, no, never mind. It's fine. This is great. Uh, y'all well, do, y'all so do much. long form better than just about anybody. Well, I think that it's so incredible that you were able to share that story with us and with everybody listening and watching. I mean, obviously a very personal, you know, very intimate story that there are lots of people out there that are probably going through similar things, you know, and it's, it's a tough thing to talk about. You know, in the first segment when we were talking about take this, we talked about the work that they do and how there's a stigma around mental health and talking about mental wellness, wellness, but it's such an important thing, you know, and it's so, 
brave of you to share your story because I think it will help other people share their stories and remember that like, hey, we all have our, our, our struggles and you don't have to go through that struggle alone, whether it's getting, you know, a friend to listen to you or having a confidant like Mario, you know, to be there for you. It was, it was weird that it worked out that way. And I, I people, you said brave and that's kind of you, but I, I really don't think of it in, in that kind of terms. It's just, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to tell anybody about that particular experience, my time in the hospital, I've been open about my, my mental health for some time. Uh, and that's largely come from discovering so many other people around me of like what struggled and, and that the fact that that was a secret to me for so long made me realize, oh man, that this is not a world we need to hide. It was a Greg of all people that finally encouraged me to, um, to come out and tell, uh, that part of the story. And I'm glad he did, but it was amazing to me when I, when I was in the hospital, I was not, you know, nobody wants to go to the hospital. It's not fun. It's hard work and it's awful and it's a hospital and you're there cause you're sick. And I, I wanted out as quick as I could get, but I reached out to some friends eventually after a few days there. And I reached out, if I remember correctly to six people, three of whom uh, immediately responded back. Oh yeah. I've been mentally hospitalized before shocked me because I didn't know that about any of them. And you know what? Just we, for all of human history, we have treated illness as if it's an inherent flaw. I don't know if it's a cruelty or if it's some kind of weird proto animal genetic thing, or that we just love the idea of blaming people for their suffering because it makes us feel better about ourselves. I don't know where it comes from, but there's no reason in this world for us to, to think that um, when you get sick, it's because you got sick and that's not something to be ashamed of. And uh, if you're not ashamed, you got a better chance of going and getting help and you've got a better chance of going and getting help and you make it better and be able to live a happier life, um, which is what I'm slowly discovering. I still got a long way to go. Well, the good news is that, Mario is going to continue to be there for you. Mario is. And Odyssey really did. It just rocked my world. Um, and yeah, I mean, you find that totem, you find that thing to latch onto. It's different from every person. Um, I can't thank the, the doctors and nurses at the place that I was at more. Um, not every mental hospitalization or mental health treatment is a great experience. There are bad doctors out there. There are bad facilities out there, but they're also great ones. And um, I wouldn't have gotten better without them. But I'm also not entirely sure I'd have gotten better without Mario. Um, so that's – I, you know, I, I've lived a weird life. Before I did this, uh, I was a pastor for many years, a minister. Uh, I've taught college. And I wrote a long time ago in a, a, on a note that, um, that in a very strange way, Jesus and Mario have had kind of equal sway over my career. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's very, nice. very strange. But um, – we, these things matter to us. These characters, these games, they are amusements. They are products. They are distractions. They are escapism, but they are also art. And art speaks to the center of who we are and where we're going. Games can teach. Games can educate. Games have placed profound truths within me. Uh, and I think that that's something to be grateful for. And we can share that love effusively. But sometimes I think it's nice for us to just take 10 quiet minutes and reflect on it. And that's what I'm trying to do with the show. 
Well, speaking of being grateful, that's the basis for your other show, Pockets Full of Soup. Yeah, yeah, I do another show too because, you know, another – really what you want to do if you're going to go off and quit your job and do this is you want to create brand confusion. <laughs> Um, you want to have no clear business plan. He's being facetious. No vision of where you're going and as much brand confusion as possible. So before you create something called Hot Blip and a Jump, which is a video show about games, you create a part-time job show called Pockets Full of Soup, another nonsensical name, uh, about a completely different kind of topic that you do video and audio so you can confuse people further and you produce it just as terribly as possible in the video end by sticking a GoPro and two like $20 lights in a room, pointing them at somebody and hoping the audience doesn't care. And what you manage to do by doing that is mostly they, they all run to iTunes and listen, which is okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Pockets Full of Soup is an interview show. I, so look, I'm not, I'm never going to be, I am not an influencer. I am not a star. I have no illusions that's ever going to be my role in this space, but I am a halfway decent storyteller and a I think I'm a decent interviewer, uh, despite the fact I'm doing all the talking right now. One of the things I enjoy most about life is is shutting up and bringing out other people's stories. And Pocketsville Soup, I bring guests on from – many of them are from the gaming industry, but many of them are from outside it too, people from the world of art, professional athletes, people that have worked in all kinds of fields. Uh, we had Jose Hernandez, an astronaut, on not too long ago. Um, guy's been to space. <laughs> Yeah, he's been Wild. to space. Oh, that – if you've never – drive to Stockton and meet Jose Hernandez. That guy's amazing. <laughs> he's he's the soul of inspiration. Just just one of the most grounded, thoughtful people I've ever engaged in a conversation with. Um, anyway, Pockets is about taking folks one-on-one, asking them about the people they're thankful for. And say, hey, tell me about one person you're thankful for, one thing you're thankful for. And – doesn't have to be the person you're most thankful for, just somebody you wanted to. And they tell the story of that person, and through that, they end up revealing things about themselves as well. And guess what? Everybody's got somebody they're thankful for. So I may never run out of material. Um, and the stories are pretty striking. Some of them are very pleasant. Some are frivolous. We've talked about Oprah, and we've talked about people who died that we loved to talk about parents and talk and about kingdom friends hearts. and kingdom hearts. Yeah. That's quarters. I, cause again, create brand confusion. Um, I also occasionally dally into some other things. I do a thing called pockets full of quarters, which is just about games we love. Uh, and again, it's on the same low production value that we have around soup. <laughs> uh, and I do it, did a thing for a while called a pretty good day, um, which is about the best day of your life. That's similar. It just fits under the pockets umbrella. I have too many ideas and I don't execute any of them well. Um, <laughs> I work on a thing it. right now on Patreon that's actually – well, it's on Patreon right now. And I'm, I I want to bring this out because this has actually resonated with my audience in a way I never expected it to. But I make a thing right now called um, Am I Boring You Yet? Uh, oh, my gosh. I love it. Yeah. They just vote on one – because guess what? I, I, if you haven't gathered yet, I talk a lot. No, um, you? I know. Yeah. Mm. And so Am I Boring You Yet is literally just – they give me a list of topics – we vote on them. They pick one. And then I light a fire in my living room and rant until the fire goes out about that topic. I don't know that why. That a really long time, depending That's on what amazing. kind of starter log you're using. <laughs> it takes a very long time. Yeah. I, I've thought about approaching it either as a, uh, as a podcast or as a Twitch show. I can't decide which. Uh, there's arguments for both. But 
if somebody just wants to listen to me talk for a long time, become a patron and you get that uh, <laughs> as part of the, one of the patron tiers. So, but I, I'm thinking about bringing some of that even out into the, uh, the brand, but obviously I need to, to focus up and figure out what I do for, for a living. Uh, in the meantime, I'm having a great time doing it. I'm glad to be here with you. You have been so kind to welcome me into this place. Um, Andrea, this is, uh, the, what, second or third time we've ever met face to face? Yes. Uh, I think it's the third? Yeah. Second? Something around yeah, there. Yeah, I don't know. Last time, the is. first time I met you was at the, was at Greg's Halloween party and that was, I was literally having a nervous breakdown, so I don't remember much about it. Uh, I, I, for the record, did not know, could not tell. <laughs> you say that, you masked it very well. <laughs> well, you get good at that right before the complete collapse. Uh, I, I learned about that too, but, um, Goldfarb kind of took care of me that night. Uh, bless him. Um, but yeah, uh, and so you chose to invite me here and it means a lot. Uh, thank you for that. I can't wait till we finally get to do something kind of funny together. But, uh, I know. So uh, funny story is that we were supposed to host Games Daily together last week, but because of a miscommunication between uh, Greg and myself, I did not go to the studio because I was traveling that afternoon. And so I thought, oh, he knows I have a flight in the afternoon. Maybe he just got Jared to cover for me. But no, we were supposed to host together. And then Greg was like, that's my bad for not making that explicitly clear. <laughs> my apologies there. Because you reached out to me you're like, you're going to be in tomorrow? And I'm like, yeah. And you're like, okay. And I was like, don't oh. know. You don't let he needs to take all the blame, which he did. Uh, this, it's his, it's his, the producer of that show. Let's blame Greg. Let's blame let's get, Greg. But, um, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Brittany. I, no, I'll say I haven't spoke a lot during this. And since I went to Vegas and it was GDC before that, and now we're going to Boston, admittedly, I'm not, I'm okay. I'm going to be fine, but it's been pretty hectic and it's been like a whirlwind of the past couple of days. And literally just listening to you talk, Jared, is extremely relaxing. So oh, I, well, I, yeah, that, that either means I'm soothing you to sleep with 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 uh, minutia, or or uh, or that you just have maybe maybe dinosaur Toy Story voices or like ASMR for you. <laughs> no, Kinda. no, you have a way of speaking that, and I'm totally tuned in. I'm just very relaxed watching you. So you do have a gift for that. You're very good at it. Oh, well, I work at it. That's kind of you to say. Um, I uh, I'm a, some of my inspirations. I mean, look, I have a I have a fiery temper. I I, I I am not naturally placid. Uh, I'm angry. I'm depressed. I'm frustrated. This isn't faking it. It's that your emotions are a part of you. They aren't who you are. Uh, that's something I had to learn about in therapy. And I make an effort to be more the person I want to be. And that's not a matter of falsehood necessarily. Uh, although sometimes I certainly feel like a fake or an imposter. But I've worked on that. Uh, Bob Ross, of all people, uh, one of my heroes. Uh, and Bob Ross did not have that naturally placid voice that you see him do, the one that we kind of all make fun of now. He cultivated that. Bob Ross was a drill instructor. Bob Ross screamed at people. Bob Ross decided at one point actively in his life, he didn't want to be that person anymore. He said, I want to be approachable. I want to bring people joy. He changed his whole life around that. And I like that. Uh, Mr. Rogers, uh, I adore Mr. Rogers, uh, for the same thing. You got that. So I try for gentleness, but, but yeah, watch me get angry sometimes. I'll scream. Uh, it's, it's. I've seen you get a little worked up on games daily every, every now and again. Angry, Ooh. no. Enthusiastic is maybe the better word. I get a little hyper. Yeah. I, <laughs> you bring up Suikoden 2 and it's, it's all over. <laughs> 
Suikoden. All <laughs> over. <laughs> but yeah, and again, that's that's. But I don't want to have a too much of a shtick, you know. I I mean, all of us that work in this uh, this media where we have our faces looking at cameras and we're talking to people who, of the kindness of our hearts, decide to send us money so we can live these amazing lives. They we, they don't owe us anything. They just choose to. We all have some transparency of who we are. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, maybe I'm putting words into your mouth here. No, so tell me not at all. But we also have parts of our lives that that are less transparent, and those barriers are very strange and constantly shifting. I think that one of the nice things about trying to have a sincerity in this in this medium is is that we aren't always going to get that right or as right you know whatever right is we aren't always get get that exactly where we want it but we do our best every day and some days we screw up some days we do better and I think people appreciate the effort to share the best parts of ourselves with them and maybe I'm wrong about that what do you think no I agree I think we're in an era of authenticity being the number one motivating factor for people gravitating towards on camera or on air personalities. I think the rise of YouTube really had a, a humongous influence of that. This idea that you're connected to these people that you watch. And we see that trickle over into things like Twitch or even platforms like Instagram. And now even maybe even into cable news, we're kind of starting to get just like a little bit of this like personalization of like, Hey, I'm not just a person reading a teleprompter. I'm a person with feelings and thoughts and I want to connect with you. And while the people on, you know, the nightly news are obviously a little bit more pundity and like a little bit more character caricature than they are on, you know, digital platforms. But I think that that's why, you know, you see somebody like Bernie Sanders, who had such an impact on so many people, regardless of what you thought about his politics, people really gravitated towards him because there he was like a no-nonsense, like, this is who I am. This is what I think. I'm not going to dress it up with a bunch of sugar and pretend like I'm something that I'm not. You either are on board for my ideas or you're not. And I think people liked that that was frank and he was honest and he was willing to have an open dialogue. You know, you take some of these popular streamers, um, you know, and that's why people, they have these giant audiences, you know, and that's why Greg has cultivated such an amazing thing with all of the guys at Kind of Funny because, you know, when you sit down, you know, with the best friends, you know, you feel like when Tim is on that you can talk to Tim or, you know, when Nick is on goofing around that like that's the way that Nick is, you know, and same with like Greg and all of the, the, the guys, you know, over there and, and Joey, it's just like, that's the thing that I think people really appreciate because we connect to each other through our vulnerabilities, but so many of us are so afraid to show that vulnerability because it makes us vulnerable, you know, and that's a, a really hard thing for me as an on-camera personality. When I started in this business, it was completely different. YouTube really wasn't a thing. It was just getting started. And it was all about like really kind of preserving the fourth wall and never really breaking it. And now like over a decade later, it's completely different. And it's been hard. And I think, you know, as women here at What's Good Games, we have another layer of that wall that we naturally put up. And that's what's so amazing about 
having Patreon. We were talking about this with Alana Pierce when she was on the show and her talking about her personal, you know, Patreon and the YouTube community that she has and how she's like, it's a special community because it's where I can kind of let my guard down because I know the people that are there are there because they love me and what I do and they're not there to criticize me or make comments about what I'm wearing or how my makeup looks or how my hair looks or if I'm too fat, if I'm too thin, you know, and like I can just be me with that community. And I, and I, I'm not sure, you know, I hope that that's the experience that you've had with your patrons. Cause that's certainly, I don't know, Britt, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like that's the community that we have. Oh, 100%. I mirror everything you just said. It's, there was a point when I was first doing YouTube. Now granted the YouTube community I had on my personal channel and still have, I just haven't uploaded in a while. It's fantastic. Same sort of thing. I don't script any of my videos. I just start talking. I say really stupid shit, but people appreciate that because they know it's like you're getting a real person, right? Um, and I'm just a dork in front of a camera that has an opinion on something. And something I really love about our Patreon community is it's like, I spent maybe two minutes on my hair today. It's greasy as hell because I haven't washed it since I went to Las Vegas. Do I care? No. Because it's like, I know people aren't <laughs> going to care about that because we're so, we all have our vulnerabilities. But I think as a group of content creators, especially within What's Good as Women, we lift each other up and we're like, hey, it's okay if you don't look like that Sports Illustrated model because we all, we're all real and we all support each other no matter what and we all love you for who you are and i think the community has really picked up on that that you can just do whatever you want and to it to a sense you don't have to spend an hour on your hair an hour on your makeup you don't have to have the most perfect thing rehearsed that you're going to say people will appreciate that and it's really helpful to have people who've been there who get it and i feel like that also builds confidence as well Brittany, uh just a side note here i would absolutely kill to have your hair uh, because being bald sucks. Um, and your hair is awesome. But we talked about this, Jared. At least when you're, you, when you're bald, you don't have to worry about the hair like peeking out of your, your headphones all weird. That's happened that's, to me. That's a good point. You're right there. And actually, there was a time long ago when my hair looked pretty much almost exactly like yours, except for a darker, uh, I was a little more, mine was a little more brown, but about the right length, about the same cut. Uh, it was, it was pretty similar. But men can get away with being bald. When you're a woman and you have thinning hair, like it is like a death sentence. Well, Andrea, I mean, let's, let's be honest. I think if the last year has taught us anything, it's that men can get away with anything. Oh my um, gosh. Because is that not the truth? I'm an old white man. <laughs> I am Captain Privilege. I mean, <laughs> what's the, What's the joke from the good place? I can only fail upward. Um, you know, it, it's, and there's a lot of truth to that. I, I, I enjoy, I uh, well, don't enjoy. I, I'm, I'm using the old definition of enjoy, which means am given, uh, enormous privileges just because of my gender and the way I look. And, um, that kind of sucks for everybody. Um, uh, and I don't have a lot to say about that. Except let's keep changing it as fast as we possibly can. But yeah, I, I can get away with being bald. I can get away with being overweight. I can get away with being older. I can get away with all kinds of things uh, because society seems okay with my genetic disposition. And that's, that's odd. Um, I understand some people may not agree with that assessment. But I've seen too much in my life to believe otherwise. I've told this story many times before, so I'll keep it brief here. When I was in high school, I was uh, 
walking to the bathroom from the hallway. I grew up in North Carolina, and this was in the mid-1990s. And I had to tie my shoe. So I bent down to tie my shoe. And because I bent down to tie my shoe, when I stood up, I looked at an angle I'd never looked at before. And I was actually looking up at the door frame above the boys' bathroom. And I could see something wrong with the frame. And I stopped and looked closer. And I could see that there was the word, you know, like boys' room there. And underneath, there was something bleeding through the paint. And I looked, it's like something had been painted over. And I looked carefully and I could see the word coloreds bleeding through the paint over the bathroom. And I realized there was only one coat of paint between me and segregation. That wow. was the, it had been that recently in that place, it had been that real. And that a huge group of people that I attended school with wouldn't have been allowed to take a crap in the same room with me. And that was legally and societally acceptable. And that's disgusting. And guess what? There's still a lot that is going on like that to this day. And uh, we should be aware of it and work to empathize and treat other people as if they have as much or more merit than we do. Uh, I think that's important. So there's a there's a little sermon for you. Sorry. No, be, I be a good human. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we we don't really preach, but we preach about how, you know, we like to focus on positivity and uplifting other people and um, generally just not being a dick. Um, <laughs> it's a good it's a good way to um, to live your life is to 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 be good, to be good to other people, be kind, empathetic. These are all good things. I don't think you need to apologize for saying that. Okay. I, 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 again, I, I just, what do, what do I know about what do, what I haven't been marginalized. What do I know about it? You know, I, I, I see it happening, but I haven't experienced it the way that so many people around me have. And because of the way I look, I maybe never will. And God, that's infuriating. No, it's good that you don't, you won't have to experience it. But what's important, I think the takeaway here is that you recognize and see it for what it is and you're willing to address it. And that is a giant step because there's tons of people out there that don't even understand what marginalization means. They don't understand what privilege means and how that really affects them and affects the people around them. And so I think... Um, don't beat yourself up, Jared. Like, yeah. oh, give yourself credit for, 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 for at least that. No, it's not beating up. I just, I, you know, I was, when I was younger, um, I was a homophobe. I hurt people. Um, I didn't know I was, but that didn't make it any less true. I thought I was open minded and I thought I was, and I hurt people and I know it now. And I look back and I go, wow, I can change what I do from here on, but I'll never be able to go back and change that. And, uh, just think about other people when you do things. That's that's all I can say. Well, that is a good takeaway. We certainly went real deep here in the third segment <laughs> of, of a show that normally is filled with levity. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it on. I can always be counted on to bring the mood down. That's right. So, And if you want more mood... No, I- <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I, I do want you to once again tell people where they can find you because I th- the storytelling that you that you're doing is is fantastic. Um, you just recently published the episode you did with Alexa Ray about Kingdom Hearts, mm-hmm. which you actually taped quite a few months ago. So, um, I know a lot of people, you know, continue to ask, you know, when's Alexa Ray coming back? She, of course, is taking time for her own personal health, and we are looking forward to welcoming her back with open arms once she is ready to do so. I'm sorry we don't have a definitive time or date for you for the people who have written in and asked, but of course we um, are wishing her a speedy recovery. Um, where can they listen to um, Pockets Full of Soup and Hop, Blip, and a Jump? Well, if you want to see that episode of, of Pockets uh, with Alexa and or Hop, Blip, and a Jump, which I really do encourage you to check out, you can find that at youtube.com slash hop, blip, and a jump. That's youtube.com slash hop, blip, and a jump. And I really do hope you'll come there and people beg and ask and, you know, subscribe. But right now, this is all very new and I'm right at that make it or break it point. And I really could use your views, your support, your encouragement. And if you want to back the project on Patreon, the exclusives are pretty good. The rewards there are pretty good. And also can be hard to make part of making something kind of special possible. You can go to hopblipjump.com. Uh, that'll take you right to my Patreon. Uh, hopblipjump.com or hopblipandajump.com. They both work. Uh, and I hope you do that. And if you want to check me out on Twitter, I mostly just rant about minutia and stupidity there. Uh, and that's <laughs> on, uh, that's petty, comma, Jared on, uh, on Twitter. P-E-T-T-Y-C-O-M-M-A-J-A-R-E-D. And of course, along with, uh, Andrea, I work, uh, kind of funny. Uh, doing the games cast or well you do games daily i do games daily and then also i uh am the permanent third chair in the games cast so well fantastic this has been an awesome show thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about the news and and letting us know about the this lovely ios game that i'm going to go download partial ufo Part-time UFO. Part-time. Part-time I got UFO. it right. Same thing. Yeah. Part-time UFO. Um, and of course, you know, we will put all of Jared's links in the description on youtube.com slash what's good games and in the show notes for everyone listening on podcast services. Um, don't forget that we will be at PAX. We have gotten lots of requests to record our PAX panel. So I'm going to do everything in my power. To not have a technical difficulty, which <laughs> happened at PAX East last year. No, PAX West? PAX West. PAX West last year. Um, and uh, we will try to get that posted as a, a, a special episode. I'm not sure when that will get posted. But um, just so you guys know, we heard the requests. I'm going to bring the equipment and try to make it happen. Um, and um, other than that, Britt, is there any other last-minute things you want to throw in before we say goodbye? 7% of you iTunes listeners. Still not subscribed to us. <laughs> Unacceptable. This is two weeks of this. The first first week, I was very impressed. We went from 8% to 7%, but we're sticking at a solid 7%. Come on. Come on. Love you. You can do better. You can do better. Just hit that subscribe button. And if you're feeling inclined, if you're feeling extra motivated today, and you want to leave us a review and a rating, well, we would love that too. Um, every little bit helps, as Jared mentioned. Uh, we really appreciate all of the support. Um, so thank you so much to everybody for listening and watching. We will be back next week with lots of details on what happened at PAX East. Until then, have a fantastic weekend, and we'll see you next time.